Sports World in Sports. Be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right? Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. My name is Wendell Wallace. The podcast is Wendell's World in Sports. I'm talking about what's happening in the world of sports today. Que pasa, mi amigos? Me, I'm O.A. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir. Monsieur Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, shalom, wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Namaste. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, getting down on the get down about what's happening today in the world of sports. We use, we use this podcast to move this world to move this society and to move this planet to move everything in a positive direction even when i'm ripping somebody even when i'm being negative on somebody even when i'm cursing out somebody even when i'm down on somebody the overall understanding the overall premise of this podcast is to talk about what's happening in the world of sports talk about a little pop culture talk about a little societal issues when it ventures into the world of sports but we do it with passion, we do it with energy, and we do it with a uniqueness that hopefully you will enjoy. So, Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast, yours truly, Wendell Wallace, talking about what's happening today in the world of sports. And man, we got some stuff that we're going to talk about today. Number one, for those who have been listening for a while, brace yourselves. No, you're not dreaming. No, you're not hearing this wrong. No, you're not into another podcast. I am going to have a guest my man Jerome Jeremy Friedland did some work in Phoenix on the uh, broadcasting side. Baseball insider breaking it down for us. So later on in the program, I've got that uh, because opening day is going to be starting. I'm recording this on a Wednesday evening. So Major League Baseball is going to be starting 162. The games that are going to be played, they'll be starting tomorrow. So I want to get an overview. I want to get my thoughts and opinions out on baseball, and I also want to share them not only with you, but I also wanted to bring on Jeremy, who knows a lot about baseball, who is a baseball savant. His love for Major League Baseball equates my love that I have for the NBA or the Georgetown Hoyas, so he's knowledgeable. He's great at it, and uh, it's going to be really good. It's going to be really fun, and I hope that you're going to enjoy it. In fact, I know Listening to Jeromeo, De Niro, Jeremy Freeland, I know you're going to enjoy it. So that'll be later on in the podcast. Also want to talk about many other things. Hey man, what, what, what's going on with the NBA? Now what are we, not, what are you complaining about now? The NBA teams are set after the buyout market and now the last players that have a chance to impact the team. They made their decisions. LaMarcus Aldridge is taking his talents to Brooklyn. Andre Drummond. He's going to join Randy Newman and Dre and all them guys and join the Los Angeles Lakers, play out there in sunny Southern California in L.A. So I'm going to be talking about, A, what impact are they going to have on their playoff chances? We already have Blake out there doing some things for the Brooklyn Nets. But here's the thing that's kind of like scratching my head here because I'm hearing people like, up in arms, like all of a sudden, like like the Brooklyn Nets just got Luka Dantich for a 20-32 second round pick or something like that. Like for for some reason, people are yelling and screaming like like the Lakers just got Giannis for for Alex Caruso and Kyle Kuzma or something like that. What 
What's going on here? All of a sudden, LaMarcus Aldridge joins the Brooklyn Nets. Andre Drummond joins the Los Angeles Lakers. And there's the, there is the uh, ST, phrase or word, super team. Really? We're going to go there with that? The Brooklyn Nets now acquiring LaMarcus Aldridge is a super team. Andre Drummond being acquired by the Los Angeles Lakers all of a sudden makes them a super team. So along with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, the missing third of that super team is now complete because of Andre Drummond. What are you talking about, Willis? What, what, what's going on with this nonsense here? I'm going to get into that, you know, claims of unfair advantage for the big market teams that are in um, contention for the championship. What? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. When did Andre Drummond all of a sudden become uh, Akeem Olajuwon in 95? When, when did LaMarcus Aldridge all of a sudden become Tim Duncan? I, 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 don't, I don't get this. I don't understand this. So now the Philadelphia 76ers should be shaking in their boots. All of a sudden now the Utah Jazz is like, well, we could handle LeBron and AD, but oh my goodness, Andre Drummond, what are we going to do now? I mean, come on, man. Let's, um, let's calm down on that. They even got some audio from Jalen Rose talking about those players taking and how the league is frowning on this. And uh, Get to that later on, probably at the end of my podcast. So I'll talk about that. As I mentioned before, Major League Baseball uh, starts on Thursday. My man Jerome, Jeromeo, Jeremy Friedland be talking about that. Talking about the AL, the NL, AL East, NL Central, all of those things. So getting into that. I want to uh, just really quickly give a recap of the main event of UFC 260 because... There's a new sheriff in town. There's a new bad, bad Leroy Brown. He's the baddest man in the whole damn town. He's better than old King Kong. He's meaner than a junkyard dog. He's he's Francis Ngannou, the new baddest man on the planet, as he KO Stipe Miocic in the second round out here in Vegas to win the heavyweight championship uh, this past weekend. So, you know what that means, right? The Black Beast, Derrick Henry, get ready for the fight of the... No, I'm just joking. John Jones sets up a possible fight against John Jones. You want that. I want that. The USC fans want that. Regular sports fans want that. Even tepid fighting UFC fans would be interested in that. Get the... Uh, I don't know if it would be the UFC's version of the fight of the century, but at least here for the 2021, it would be fight of the year especially when we're talking about now the heavyweight division, the UFC for the longest. If you take a look at the divisions, the heavyweight division has always been lagging far, far, far behind. I mean, you have the, um, you know, you have Randy Couture and you had uh, you know, these other guys winning the heavyweight championship. Frank Mir for a while was the heavyweight champion. But, you know, you had pride with Fedor and Mirko Krokop and the Dogera boys and all those folks over there in Japan. So when... Pride was doing their thing as far as the heavyweight division is concerned. They always had, we always were under the thought process that Pride Championships had the best heavyweights in the, uh, between the two companies. And when you're speaking about when Fedor was uh, doing the thing when he was at his prime, not only was he considered the greatest heavyweight of all time, he was also considered the greatest MMA mixed martial artist of all time, right up there with Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz and, and all, and all those other guys. But now, you know, moving forward, the heavyweight division has always kind of taken a backseat in terms of the glamour divisions. 
and you've always had the welterweights who've had their uh, superstar. You've had the lightweights who've had their stupid superstar. You've had the middleweights who had their superstar. The middleweights had Anderson Silva doing their thing. Uh, the welterweights had George St. Pierre doing their thing. You know, 155, you've had a plethora of really good fighters moving on and capturing the thoughts in and in, in, in interest of people. Even in light heavyweight, John Jones coming in, the John Jones era, all of those all of those divisions have had their quote-unquote superstars. The, the 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 heavyweight division really hasn't had that that shining superstar. You know, Randy Couture was a great story when he was doing the thing. Cormier really quickly for a hot second there when he was the uh, UFC heavyweight champion, beating Stipe, then uh, defending the title once before losing in a rematch, a really good rematch by um, between those two. But there really hasn't been that signature. There really hasn't been that heavyweight rivalry like we had with Rampage and Rashad Evans or John Jones and Rashad or John Jones and Daniel Cormier or even even with only for 13 seconds uh Conor McGregor and the Jose Aldo or or even better a Conor McGregor and and a, and a, uh, Nate Diaz so we really haven't had that type of rivalry in the heavyweight division possibly hopefully we'll have that now as Francis Ngannou, who is, uh, I mean, I, I you know, I, <laughs> you, you you look at somebody just as a physique, just as a human being. You look at this person and you say, that is one guy I'm not going to fuck with. I, you know, you always have these jackasses who are, you know, you go into the bar, they're with their female, they're trying to impress their female, they're jackasses, they're assholes, so they get drunk, and the first thing they want to do is they want to show off how big and bad they are. They want to show how mean and tough they are. They want to bully somebody. They want to do all these things. I've, I've heard a story, oh my goodness gracious, I was working without, uh, I was working out here in Vegas at the local uh, sports station for a little bit, and we had an engineer. This is when Frank Mir was the heavyweight champion of the world. But this is when the UFC was in its infancy. So at that time, even though Mir was the heavyweight champion, just like every other champion, just like every other fighter on the uh, who was being employed by the UFC, they had to get a second job. Because at the time, there was no sponsorships available or there, was no, there wasn't enough money in sponsorships in the fight and such to where this could be their full-time job. So Frank Mir was a bouncer at one of the local strip joints out here. And our producer for our station, on-site producer, you know, he was setting things up because they were going to be doing a remote from there. Well, you know, afterwards, he got drunk. And uh, they were like, you got to leave. You got to go. You got to get out of here. You're being belligerent. You're being an asshole. You're being a jackass. You're ruining the mood. Get the flip out. So, you know, Mira was like, look, man, I don't want to hurt you. You know, because he was starting to be like, oh, man, fuck y'all, man. What the fuck? What's up? What's up, monkey? What's up, so Frank Mir was like, hey, man, you know, I really don't want to hurt you. And I really don't want to, you know, I just want to just, be cool. All right. Let's just let's just, you know, not have any instances incidents and let's just get out of here. So, you know, the whole time, <laughs> the whole time, this guy like, oh, man, you, you're fucking bad. Why are you? Why? Can you think that you, you're so fucking tough? This, that, and the other. You want to fight, motherfucker? This, that, and the other. This, that, and, you know, he was like, he, he, Frank Mir had a couple of bodyguards with him to take him out, you know. Oh, man, you, you ain't so fucking tough. You ain't so fucking tough, man. If those motherfuckers were here, I'd whoop your ass, motherfucker. You ain't shit, this, that, and the other. <laughs> he took him outside. And Mir was like, uh, fellas, go back inside. All right, man, so uh, what, what, are you, what, are you, what are you saying here? What are you saying about me being a bitch? What are you saying all this kind of stuff? 
Oh yeah, uh, well, man, you know what, you know what's up, man. You know if something's going to happen like that, your boys will come out, man. I ain't falling for that, man. But you ain't shit. You ain't motherfucking this, that, and the other. And it's like, at the, <laughs> I always used to tease that guy. I was like, hey, man, you uh, want to go back to Olympic Garden and fight uh, Frank Mir now? Like, nah, I was, I was drunk and I was an idiot. What the fuck I was talking about? The whole point of the story is Francis Ngannou is so fucking, is so fucking impressive as a physical specimen. And has that look to him where if you fuck with him, I will fucking kill you. That even the stupidest, jackassiest drunk would sit there and be like, "Yeah, who wants to fight, motherfucker? Who wants to get? Who wants to? Who wants some? Who wants to get some of these hands? This, that, and the other." And the Francis Ngannou walks up and says, "I'll fight you." And the guy's like, "Who else wants to fight besides that guy? This, that, and the other." I mean, you know, that Francis Ngannou is a big bad son of a gun, and. Um, I thought that it was a situation where, because if you remember the first time they thought they fought between uh, Nganu and Miosic, it was a matter of, you know, Nganu was out there swinging for the fences. And while he cracked Stipe a couple of times, Miosic was, ever, was able to absorb it. And then basically after three minutes of the first round, Nganu was spent. I don't know if the, if the moment was too big. I don't know if he was feeling himself too much because going into that, promotion that you have to remember for that fight it was all about Ninganu I mean it was you could tell that the that the storylines were basically this was going to be the crowning of a new champion and the start of a new era because as I mentioned before the guy's story Ninganu was awesome from his his parts his starts over in Africa coming over to the states and working his way and becoming this fighter this that and the other and as I mentioned before the impressive build and physique and everything so you know this was a situation where man you know what Nagano becoming the heavyweight champion of the world this opens up a whole new world for us because now we can take this bad boy back to his home country in Africa the motherland and we can you know open up a whole new avenue of great fighters coming out of that continent, out of those countries over there in the motherland. So this is going to be awesome. And Neosic was kind of like, hey, man, I mean, why are y'all up here talking about how great this guy is now, the great things that this guy is going to do and all this kind of stuff? I am the champion. of, I'm the heavyweight champion of the world. What the fuck y'all doing disrespecting me? You know, just because I don't have that Conor McGregor type of a jibber-jabber, just because I don't have that Diaz brother type of aura or weirdness or uniqueness, just because I don't have that Anderson Silver type Silver uh, Silva type flair, same thing with John Jones. Just because I'm just a you know a hard working blue collar guy who in his off time likes to uh, you know you know be a fighter firefighter out there in Ohio. Man, that doesn't mean you need to disrespect me like that. Just because I won't p- play ball and talk trash and do s- stupid ass shit like pick up a dolly and throw it at a uh, UFC bus and all that type of nonsense. Just because I ain't doing that stupid shit, that doesn't mean that y'all have to disrespect me like this. Clearly, y'all don't want me as a champion. Clearly, I'm not going to be playing ball with y'all in terms of trying to market the way that y'all want to market me. So, no. So, you know, this stuff about y'all hoping, y'all looking for someone to replace me and you think you found somebody in Ngannou and you think that all of a sudden now let's start building this guy's uh, hype machine. No, I'm not, I'm not down with that. And fuck you guys. Fuck you, Dana. Fuck you, the UFC. Fuck you, Joe Silva. Fuck everybody who has that type of uh, uh, thought pattern, those opinions about me as a fighter, as a champion, and as a guy who has a chance to uh, win the, or retain the heavyweight championship. I'm going down as the baddest motherfucker who's ever held held this belt. You guys are up there, uh, you know, getting on your knees and, 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 you know, bowing down and then going to fuck y'all. So that first fight, Stipe, you know, put the work on him. 
experience, smarts, intelligence in terms of at that time in terms of the fighting game. I'm not talking about overall intelligence. I'm not talking about, you know, two plus two equals four type of intelligence. I'm just talking about in the fighting game. Miocic had more experience and when you have more experience and you've been through the tough waters and you've been through those things that Miocic had been through in the octagon, naturally you're going to be a more intelligent fighter than someone who is as inexperienced as Ninganu was at that time that they fought the first time. But I thought Miocic would do the same thing because, you know, Ninganu's path back to him getting that shot the second time for the heavyweight strap was kind of muddled. I mean, that he, after he lost to Miocic, he had that fight against Derek Lewis, which was weird upon weird. It looked like it was a replay. It looked like they were imitating the fight between Houston Alexander and Kimbo Slice. If you ever want to be put to sleep, go ahead and watch that fight. But it was just... It was just a weird fight. Ninganu didn't engage for three rounds. It was it was just weird. He didn't do anything. He almost pulled an Oliver McCall against Lennox Lewis. It was just like, what is he doing? So he had to get through some doubts concerning that. Dana White was questioning, you know, his his work ethic was questioning his desire to be great. Did Miocic beat the desire and dedication and professionalism out of him after that first fight when he fought the uh, Black Beast, uh, Derek, uh, Derek Lewis. So Ninganu had to rebuild even from the bottom again, as far as his U.S. career, UFC career is concerned. And came in swinging and, you know, he was, he was knocking out people in like 15, 30, not 15 seconds. But I mean, in the first round, he was just annihilating everybody. Beat up Junior Dos Santos and others. And he was just knocking them out. In the first round, with these wild swings, man, just wild, crazy ass swings, and I'm like, man, okay, that's impressive, but you know that shit ain't gonna work against Miocic. But when he fought him this past weekend, there was calm, there was intelligence, there was experience, there was a game plan, there were all those things, and there were skills that Miocic and I guess others really didn't count on. The jab from Ninganu was fantastic. Leg kicks. It was a all-around performance from someone who has that type of physique and that type of athleticism. It was almost like, uh-oh, the lights come on. Uh-oh, he's learning how to do this. Uh-oh, we're all in trouble. So, second round, hit him with a shot, a jab that rocked Miocic. And Miocic doesn't have a paper chin. Rocked him, put him down. That was it. It was almost like, he put him down, and before Herb Dean could run in there and stop the fight, Mangano had one more shot, you know, f- you know, from the, he had a Dan Henderson over, you know, the way Dan Henderson clubbed um, Michael Bisbane at UFC 200 when Bisbane went out, and then Henderson was like, fuck that, one more for all that shit you were talking. It was like, Mangano was going to land one more shot just to make sure, and I was like, Herb, get in there, for heaven's sakes! Miocic is married with a child. Save him. <laughs> I mean, Ninganu wasn't being, you know, dirty or anything like that. It was like, hey, man, until the referee gets in there to stop you, you keep wailing. So even though Miocic was out after awkwardly falling, hey, the referee didn't stop the fight. No one's gotten in his way. So uh, just in case, <laughs> I'm going in for one more power shot and on an unconscious, defenseless victim like Miocic and someone like Ninganu, Coming down with that punch, woo! I was like, oh my God, he's going to kill him if Herb Dean doesn't get in there. But, you know, 
Francis Ngannou, the new UFC heavyweight champion of the world, sets up again a possible fight with John Jones, who's up there talking about, you know, eight to ten million dollars ain't going to do it. I don't blame him. Number one, you're getting in there with a um, with with an absolute monster. And have you seen John Jones, who's been rocked before by light heavyweights? What happens if he gets hit by Francis Ngannou? Not only will he lose, um, I need some money to be paying those medical expenses. So besides that, this is a big fight. This is a huge fight. This should be marketed as one of the biggest, if not the biggest fight of all time. And I'm not just talking about because of weight class and Ngannou's size and everything like that. This should be the new era for the heavyweights. Francis Ngannou being that guy. And for the first time, the heavyweight championship really is going to mean something in terms of exposure, in terms of interest, and in terms of big dollars. When was the last time that the uh, UFC heavyweight championship was really really at a high level of interest as far as sports fans are concerned? John Jones versus Francis Ngannou is going to be a great matchup, which is going to get a lot of attention and a lot of eyeballs. And uh, John Jones is like, yeah, 8 to 10 mil, he's going to do it because I'm quite sure with this card, you're going to uh, do a lot more, especially depending on what they put as the uh, put as the co-main or even the co-co-main. I mean, there could be two really good uh, uh, matchups before we get to Ngannou and John Jones. And we don't even know exactly when this fight is going to be taking place. People are saying summer, 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 summer. I mean, we're all there already into April. So I, what, what are we talking about here? I mean, the UFC usually holds as uh, you know, gala events the July 4th weekend. That's a couple of months from now. I mean, could that be set? I mean, that could be huge, but you also have to take a look at the pandemic. You also want to uh, make sure that you maximize uh, the amount of money that you can earn. So is July too early? If we wait a few more months, if we wait till the fall, can we move this to uh, Jerry World and have it at uh, Texas Stadium? Can we, you know, move it down to Florida somewhere? I mean, a place where a city, a state where the they're going to be pretty lax with the um, COVID restrictions and such. So do we wait a few more months to expand our options of where to go? Do we take this overseas? Do we take this over to Africa? Maybe not yet, but you know what I'm saying? So there's a plethora of things to be worked on in terms of getting this completed. But the UFC, Dana White and those guys do a really good job with that. So it should be something to where, um, yeah, it should be happening. And uh, I'm excited. I wonder, because we don't know when Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua are going to be fighting, but wouldn't that be absolutely dream for fight fans or just sports fans in general if one week they had, or one weekend you had, Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury. And then the next weekend you had John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. Or if you want to switch it around and have Ngannou versus Jones one weekend. And then the next weekend have Fury and Joshua. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be fantastic this summer? Wouldn't that be something else? The chances of that happening, slim to none. But a man can dream, right? A man can dream, just like Martin Luther King. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The final four is set. In college basketball, after upsets in the opening and second rounds, the Final Four is pretty much the way most college basketball teams had hoped. You have two number one seeds. You have Gonzaga. You have Baylor. Hopefully, they'll be playing in the championship if you're trying to uh, maximize on your dollar, if you're TV execs, if you're 
uh, advertising partners. So you will have two number one seeds, one number two seed, a team from the Power Six Conference who would have a chance to win the whole doggone things, who would be a Villanova of 85, who would be a Kansas, Kansas of 88, who would be a UConn of 2011, who would be a UConn of 2014, who would have that type of chance, speaking about UCLA, if Gonzaga wasn't in the tournament. But um, this Saturday, when the Zags play the Bruins, yeah, Gonzaga's going to whoop them and whoop them pretty good, I believe. But, uh, you know, there you go. Heavy favorite, if you're speaking about Gonzaga and the best, second best team in the country, both made the Final Four, thank goodness. There wasn't any Oral Roberts. I was saying the dream Final Four would have been Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Loyola of Chicago. That would have been awesome. But the bottom line is you want to get Gonzaga and Baylor playing in the final. Gonzaga versus Michigan also I can, I, can, I can deal with that. Most fans could deal with that because when you're speaking about who were the best basketball teams in the in college uh, college this season, you know, the three top were, for the most part, Gonzaga, Baylor, and Michigan. So the fact that, you know, UCLA made the uh, tournament, okay, made the Final Four, excuse me, okay. Again, as long as we get Baylor versus um, Gonzaga, we'll be fine. We, we, we definitely don't want UCLA versus uh, versus Baylor, or we don't we, we don't want anything like that. We don't want UCLA versus Houston. I mean, great because Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, then Lou Alcindor, and Elvin Hayes aren't walking through that door. And even if they did, this ain't going to be, be being played in the Astrodome. And if this anything like it was when UCLA and Houston with Elvin and Lou playing in the uh, NCAA Final Four after that game in the Superdome or in the Astrodome. UCLA won 101-69. So, uh, yeah, we don't want Houston or UCLA. Vaisalama Jamma ain't coming back through that door. Ed O'Banion isn't coming through that door. Nick Cronin is the coach. Jim Herrick is not going to be coming through that door to coach. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be good with the uh, finals being Baylor and Gonzaga. But, uh, you know, we'll see. In the Elite Eight games, hey, man, UCLA, as I mentioned before, beat Michigan 51-49. Johnny Juzang. Juzang. Scored a game high 28 points, 18 in the first half, 51 to 49. Really? Really? Tiger Campbell was the only other UCLA player in double figures with 11. And after that, no other UCL player, UCLA player had more than four points. Give me the NBA playoffs. Give me the NBA playoffs every time, every time. Even though I love uh, college basketball, especially when Georgetown is doing well, 51 to 49 in a game that counts. Jeez, man, but Juzang is, uh, if anything, he's put himself on the radar. I, I don't know if, because we always speak about every year, who's going to be that guy that's going to propel himself from obscurity to possible being drafted in the NBA? Who's going to be that guy where all intent and purposes were he was going to come back for his sophomore or his junior or his senior year, but he exploded, he, he Dante DiVincenzoed himself from being a guy who was going to be coming back to all of a sudden having a great tournament and then declaring for the NBA draft. I think Johnny Juzang, a transfer for, uh, from Kentucky, might be that guy. Depends on what he does against um, Gonzaga. Drew Timmy, the big man from Gonzaga who's a sophomore, that's another guy who, I mean, he might turn himself into well, what Zach Collins did. You know, Zach Collins, I think his freshman year really wasn't expected to be coming out had a really good uh, run in the NCAA tournament. 
then declared when they found out that he was going to be a first-round pick. Well, Drew Timmy, was a, who's a sophomore, 42. I think he was a fourth, a four-star uh, recruit when he joined Gonzaga. No intentions, for the most part, from anybody really following the game of basketball, following college basketball. There was really no thought about Drew Timmy possibly declaring for the NBA draft, lack of athleticism, this, that, and the other. But uh, after the uh, beatdown, after the performance he put on against uh, Evan Mobley, who's going to be a top three, top four pick in the NBA draft, I mean, there might be some talk if Gonzaga continues to, continues to roll and Drew Timmy, who's been averaging about 27 points a game against the uh, top six teams that Gonzaga has played, if he turns in another masterful performance against UCLA and then you know does it again against the winner of UCLA and, uh, excuse me, uh, Baylor and uh, Houston, I mean, he could be a guy who might say, you know, fuck it, I'm going to go to the NBA. But Johnny Juzang has been, I think, the leading candidate for that award. The, yeah, I'm going to come back my next season before the tournament starts and I have a great tournament. No, I'm not going to the NBA. So, uh, look, he struggled against Alabama on Sunday with 13 points. Speaking of Juzang, 5 of 18 from the field. Had 23 points in the overtime win against Michigan State. And then he was solid in their first round upset of BYU. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Michigan, hey, Jawan Howard, is there any way that we can get... With everything that happened, look, Michigan had three chances in the final 10 seconds to win. Would have given them the, the uh, opportunity to go to the final four. But before that, as usual, everybody wants to say, you know, wants to focus on that point in terms of the biggest missed opportunity for Michigan to win that game, but hey, man, they, they went three for eleven from the from three and shot less than forty percent from the field. And they missed numerous shots at the rim and were also six of eleven from the free throw line. Yeah, it might come down to that one shot, but there was a lot of other things that contributed just as mightily to Michigan not being able to advance to the uh, final four. But you know, great season from Michigan, and as I mentioned before, Jamon Howard show he's a great and up and coming coach. How much money would it take for the Washington Wizards to, uh, my Washington Wizards to uh, maybe get Howard out of uh, college basketball and say bye-bye to Scott Brooks and have him be the next coach of the Washington Wizards? Anybody check with Bradley Beal? Can Bradley go into uh, Ted Leonis' office or Tommy Shepard's office and be like, you know, I'm watching the NCAA tournament. That's Jawan Howard. Hmm. Wouldn't mind playing for that guy. Really wouldn't mind playing for that guy. Hint, 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 hint. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hey, look, man, before we end this discussion about college basketball, because you're hearing it, I'm hearing it, it's going to be played that way. The storylines are going to be written that way. UCLA, Cinderella. UCLA is not a Cinderella team. Stop, stop. Look, I understand where they came from, the number 11 seed. I understand all that. I understand the adversities that they had during the season. Their five-star point guard, Deshaun Nix, decided to go to the G League instead of enrolling at UCLA and being their starting point guards. Chris Smith, arguably their best player, tore his ACL in the middle of the season. Get that. Understand that. Jalen Hill missed two games. Uh, missed the last two months due to personal issues. So I get all that. Understand Lost the last four games leading up to the NCAA tournament, including a quarterfinal loss and the Pac-12 tournament to Oregon State, who we found out was a lot better than everybody thought at the time they were playing. Understood that, understood that. But I'm sorry, this is not a Cinderella team. Not when you have a roster full of four and five-star recruits, top 100 recruits. I'm sorry, this is not 
a Cinderella team. Not when you're playing in the Pac-12. Not when you're going up against the competition that UCLA went up against during the regular season. This is not a Cinderella team. It's not a Cinderella team when you beat an overrated Michigan State team in overtime, then beat BYU at the number six seed. I don't know how they got there. Then beat Abilene Christian because they beat Texas and beat them by double figures. And the team that they beat in Abilene Christian was horrible against Texas in a game where they shot 16% from the three from the three-point line and under like 30% from the field overall. Now, hey, kudos, man. They beat Alabama. Kudos, man. They beat Michigan, the number one seed to advance in the final four. It's a great story. It's awesome. Those kids should be proud. Mick Cronin should go into the office after he gets beat up by Gonzaga and demand a contract extension. All of those things, hey, man, should be happening. We should be applauding what UCLA is doing. But we're not going to call them, we should not be calling them a Cinderella. When you take a look at the players of importance in UCLA, Johnny Juzang was a, uh, played at Kentucky before he said, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm not getting enough time and I I can only take Calipari yelling at me so much in practice in the game where it's like enough is enough. I can only take. Have you ever listened? Have you ever watched a uh, University of Kentucky basketball game, especially now, especially this season when there were no fans in the arena, and you just heard this from the bench from on Kentucky side, your Calipari? I, mean, I, I didn't know what he was saying, but imagine if you're a basketball player and you have to hear that. If you're going to be playing for 35 minutes a game for Kentucky, could you imagine hearing that for the amount of time that you're on the court, day, uh, game after game? <laughs> so Johnny Juzang was like, I got to hear that, and I'm not getting the time that I want. See ya. So he went over to uh, UCLA. But please, don't call UCLA a Cinderella when Johnny Juzang is on your, t- is on your team who was rated among the top 35 players in his high school class on uh, by multiple outlets when he was ranked number 29 by ESPN as the 29th best prospect in his uh, high school graduating class, when he was ranked number 31 by 247sports.com, when he was ranked 34 by rivals.com. Anybody who has that guy on their team, that's not a Cinderella team. And then he's also accompanied by uh, Jamie Jacquez Jr., who had offers from Illinois, Georgetown, God damn it, Memphis, and, and Utah. And this was a guy who was ranked in the top 100. He was ranked the 81st player in his class by Rivals.com, 82nd by 247sports.com, 92 by ESPN.com, the number eight prospect in California in his high school class by ESPN.com. Those two guys on your team? That does not make you a Cinderella team. Tiger Campbell, ranked 72nd nationally in his high school class by 247sports.com. 79th by Rivals. 99th by ESPN.com. Second team All-State Honors uh, from USA Today High School Sports. That doesn't make UCLA a Cinderella team. Jules Bernard, he was offered by Alabama in Arizona State, he was ranked the number 38 player in his high school class by rivals. 43 by 247sports.com. 46th by ESPN.com. That does not make UCLA a Cinderella. Cinderellas don't have that type of talent on their team. Cinderellas don't have that type of um, 
firepower on their team. Again, great story. Wonderful story. Those guys should be applauded. Nick Cronin, awesome job. But coming in at number 11, despite all of the hurdles that you guys had to leap over with Deshaun Nix and, 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 and the other unfortunate uh, situations, I'm not going to say that they underachieved at the number 11 seed, but, I mean, this was a situation where, yeah, guess what? If a Pac-12 team gets to play Abilene Christian and BYU, uh, yeah, they, they should be winning those games. Sorry. And then again, very impressive. Good job against Alabama in um, Michigan. But I'm, I'm sorry. Shouldn't UCLA be on the same, the same tier in terms of talent? If you take a look at the talent that UCLA has and then compare it to Alabama in Michigan, I mean, is it that much of an upset? Is it that much of a surprise? Especially the way after losing four straight, getting that uh, win against Michigan State, and then gaining that momentum by playing BYU and Abilene Christian with the talent that they had. They're starting to get on a roll. They're starting to get momentum. They're starting to get that confidence that we can do some things. Is it that much of a upset that they lost to Alabama? Or excuse me, that they beat Alabama and... um. Michigan to reach the Final Four? I don't think so. That doesn't scream Cinderella to me. That's not George Mason. That's not VCU. That wasn't Davison with just Steph Curry and a bunch of two-star recruits. So, great job by UCLA, but please, don't call them Cinderella because they've been at the top. Well, they've been, they've been, um, I've been there for years. Don't call it a comeback. I've been there for years. You're L Fool J. So there you are. And hey, you know what? Congratulations to UCLA. You know what your reward is going to be? Getting blown out next weekend by Gonzaga. So, you know, enjoy. Wonderful. Awesome. So those are some of the things that I hit on. Those are the things that I wanted to talk about. Maybe went a little long on the UFC thing. But uh, I had to talk about my man Francis Ngannou and the thought that there might be a mega match, a mega fight, an awesome fight, not an awesome Kong but an awesome fight between Ninganu and John Jones is going to be something. And touched a little bit on college basketball. Hey, man, you know, again, congratulations for UCLA. Let's just hope that Baylor and Gonzaga, and also Kelton Sampson, good good for him. Again, I, <laughs> Indiana, I know you guys hired Mike Woodson. Don't know what he can do. First time coaching in college. I know that he can coach. Everyone's talking about, well, he's never coached in college before. Well, I mean, coaching is coaching. If you can coach, you can coach. And then the NBA with the Knicks, he showed that he could coach. Iso heavy, relied a lot on Carmelo when he was the coach with the Knicks. But he's had plenty of experience uh, as far as being the head coach. He was the assistant under Doc Rivers. He's an offensive guy in terms of the thinking, his, his uh, resume, his uh, expertise. The fact that, uh, you know, he's been the offensive coordinator for multiple coaches who have been really good coaches. So I'm, I'm not doubting for Indiana, if you're sitting there going, Mike Woodson, you shouldn't be doubting Mike Woodson because his, of his ability to coach. Now, recruiting, how uh, aggressive is he going to be in recruiting? How dedicated is he going to be in that regard? How much dealing with 18 to 22 year olds for the first time is he going to be as far as in the collegiate level is concerned 
What is he going to be dealing with the boosters? How he's going to be dealing with the alumni? How he's going to be dealing with kids acting stupid? And that's going to be falling on him when during the off season, one of his players goes out back home and does something stupid. And then the media is going to come and say, well, how is this going to be your fault? I mean, how long is a guy like Mike Woodson who has been dealing with men and dealing in an NBA situation and being in an NBA environment atmosphere for so long? How long is he wanting to deal with that shit, especially at his, at his age? Those are the questions I think Indiana fans should ask themselves in terms of Mike Woodson, but Mike Woodson can coach, man. Go ahead and get yourself super strong recruiters and, uh, you know, you come in the close deal and, you know, we move forward with there. I mean, at least he has the, look, I just came from the NBA, so I know how to get people to the NBA. I know how to get players to the NBA and I have contacts in the NBA. So even if we're not great, I still have ways, I still have avenues, I still have contacts to get you there, to get you seen, to get you in front of people that maybe other college coaches don't. If you're being recruited by Ohio State, if you're being recruited by Michigan, if you're a four or five star recruit and you're being recruiting, that player is being recruited by universities and college programs, college basketball programs who go after four or five star recruits and they're coming into Indianapolis or they're coming into Terre Haute or they're coming into French Lake or they're coming in to any of these places in Indiana trying to scoop up that schoolboy, trying to scoop up that four or five star recruit. At least Mike Woodson, Jawan Howard can do this too, so I don't know. But at least um, Mike Woodson can play the look. I not only play for Indiana, I also have been a coach in the NBA, a head coach in the NBA last time the Knicks were in the uh, playoffs. Thank you very much. And also, um, I have the experience, the expertise, the knowledge to get players ready for the NBA and then the contacts and avenues and resources to get you the best opportunity to uh, be seen and be drafted where you needed to be drafted. So for... Indiana, all that stuff is great, but this all swings back to, damn, remember when Indiana had Kelvin Sampson? (sighs) Wouldn't you guys like to have Kelvin Sampson right now, Indiana fans, after four years of Archie Miller, a few years of Tom Cream? Wouldn't you uh, like to have Kelvin Sampson right now? Look, I understand what he did, when he did it, you know, it wasn't Will Wade-ish. It wasn't Sean Miller-ish. It wasn't Bill Selfish. But it was enough at that time where it was like, look, man, I you know, I don't I don't think we can kind of pull you out of this one. Maybe you should just maybe me and you should just part ways. Maybe, you know, Kelvin, you, you know, rehabilitate yourself and you know, but you you can't do it here. I mean, if we knew now what we knew back then. Would there be any way that Indiana would be like, well, Kelvin, you're really fucked up, this, that, and the other, but um, you're too damn good of a coach for us to be like, see, just be saying, see you later. So we're going to see what we can do. But hindsight's 2020. Went to uh, sit on the bench with Kevin McHale and the Rockets. Got some great experience doing that. And now he's the coach for Houston and has turned that program around. After Clyde Drexler and a couple of other folks basically after Guy Lewis, between Guy Lewis and now Kelvin Sampson, Houston was uh, as close to irrelevant as possible in an irrelevant conference. But uh, he's got him in the Final Four. So we'll see what we can do. We'll see what he can do. So, yeah, man, that's uh, about the that's about college basketball. That's about the UFC. That's about uh, some NBA basketball. What have I forgotten? 
What have I forgotten? What have I not mentioned? What sport is it that I haven't gotten to yet? Oh yeah, that's right. Let's get down and boogie with a little bit of NFL talk. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Yes, the NFL. News from the NFL. The news never stops with the NFL. We love when there's news with the NFL. When there's no news, there is news with the NFL. But this is big news. This is important news from the NFL. 17 game season. Tuesday. NFL owners approved the expansion of the regular season to 17 games. The season will begin on Thursday night, September 9th, will end on January 9th, 2022. The Pro Bowl will be played August, uh, excuse me, February 6th, 2022 at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Hey, there you go. The Super Bowl at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles has been pushed back one week. So instead of February 6th, it's going to be played on February 13th of next season. There's going to be one bye week per team. Now, this is something that the players agreed on in the as far as an uh, additional game is concerned as part of the 2020 collective bargaining agreement. So this is not something where the players are like, hey, wait a minute. The preseason will be reduced from four games to three to maintain compliance with the collective bargaining agreement, which limits the total number of postseason, preseason games and regular season games to be played at 20. So I guess to appease the players, the owners are like, yeah, man, we care about you. We care about your safety. We believe that CTE is contributed to football playing and those type of things. So we're not going to gouge you. We're not going to ruin your lives. We're not going to ruin your quality of lives and your elder ages. We're not going to try to take too many years off your life expectancy. So yeah, 17 games, regular season. Don't look at it this, this way. It's going to be 20 total. So from a fan's perspective, it's like you're having 16 regular seasons game, regular season game now with four preseason games, 20. So we take one of the preseason games away. We add it back to the regular season, 17, three equals 20. Come on now. We, we're, we, we've got you. We're, 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 uh, we're down with you. We're concerned about you. <laughs> yeah, right. The NFL schedule hasn't expanded since 1978 when the league moved from 14 games to 16 games. Here's something where it's kind of like, really? 
NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said he expects the league to have full stadiums for this upcoming season. Yeah, that might be old news, and that might be something that, yeah, we were planning to do that anyway. In the states that have the Miami Dolphins franchise, the Jacksonville Jaguars franchise, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers franchise, the Dallas Cowboys, Houston Texans franchises, the Arizona Cardinals franchise. Yeah, those states and those cities might be like, yeah, kind of knew that was happening. What's the no news flash here? No breaking news here. Even though in the states of Texas, Florida, Arizona, which has been laxing, there are COVID restrictions. They see new cases of COVID on the rise. But, I mean, you know, hey, that's cool. That's fine. You know, you got idiots as, as, as governors of the, those states. So, you know, what do you expect? So that's really not something that's going to be huge or unbelievable or something like that. I still think that even though Goodell is talking about we have full stadiums, we'll think we'll have full stadiums and everything like that. Don't think that's going to be happening. Even in Texas and even in Florida, I still, I still think people are going to be leery in terms of returning to the stadiums, not saying that they're going to be empty, not saying that there's, their capacity is going to be 20 or 30% or something like that. But I, I just, as of right now, at least for the first couple of months, at least for, you know, I don't know, maybe the, maybe shit, what are we looking at here? Maybe November or something like that. Maybe October, late October, November. I, I can't see, you know, just a deluge of fans going back to the stadiums to where, they're going to be at 85, 90% capacity. I, I just don't see it. I could be wrong, but man, we, we still, everybody's talking like this pandemic is behind us or something like this. You know, we're getting the coping, we're getting the vaccines and this, that, and the other, but I don't know, man. I don't know. There, there really hasn't been a, so once everybody gets the vaccine, everything is going to be back to normal. We haven't, have you heard that? I haven't heard that just yet. I mean, the vaccine, yeah, you get the vaccine and it helps to prevent someone uh, getting the virus or it lessens the possibility of getting the virus or it, uh, it, it, it knocks down the potential for serious harm with the virus. All of those things I've, I'm, I'm hearing and then you hear stuff about, you know, a second wave might be coming. You're starting to hear stuff like, you know, there might be another strand on this virus and it's like, Okay, when, when exactly are we going to go back to normal? What is normal? What is going to be the new normal? What is going to be, instead of six feet apart, are we going to be three feet apart? Are we still going to have to wear masks? Are we going to have to, what is the protocols here moving forward? Once everybody had the vaccine, I don't know. It, it, I, don't, I, I can't imagine that we'll go back to March 1st, 2020 type of way of living. I just, I just don't see it. I just don't think that there's enough confidence to go that way. So when Goodell is talking about there's going to be full stadiums, I don't see any city out here. I don't see any NFL franchise in a city uh, where the population, where the fan base is going to be like, yeah, no problem. I mean, are we still going to be apprehensive in terms of in September? If we're going to be shoulder to shoulder next to someone without a mask, are, are we still going to be? Some will. Some will be like, fuck it, I got my vaccine, I'm cool. But I, I don't know. I don't know. So all of those notions are great, but um, I'm, I'm holding off on full capacity. And look, I've missed fans. I've missed the fans being in the arenas in the stadiums. And I'm quite sure the players have felt that too in all sports. Baseball, basketball, football, hockey. It's just weird. As I mentioned before, college football and basketball, the college sports especially, I think have really been hurt and really have um, lessened the viewing experience and the enthusiasm for me 
because watching these games, there's no one there. And while I thought, fuck it, you know, I'm not, I'm not there to watch a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds, you know, act like idiots. I'm there to watch uh, North Carolina. I'm there to watch Georgetown. I'm there. Well, Georgetown doesn't get that many fans to begin with. I'm there to watch. Uh, there to watch uh, Duke. I'm there to watch Kansas. I'm there to watch. Uh, you know, uh, those type of uh, teams. I'm there to watch Gonzaga. Why do I give a fuck? If there's going to be fans in the stands. I'm not watching them. Turns out they add uh, to the atmosphere greatly. You know, the Iron Bowl, all these other college football games where it's kind of like, I don't give a fuck about the fans. I'm there to watch the games. It uh, really took away the viewing pleasure and experience not having uh, the fans in the arena, in the stadiums, even though I think that the cameramen shoot to them and put them in focus a little bit too much. But, uh, yeah, so I, I want fans back in the stands. I want that element back on the stands. And I would really love it to where with the supreme confidence that we could have uh, uh, stadiums and arenas at 90% capacity without having to wear masks. That would be awesome. But uh, I'm just not sure about that. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So they're talking about, because now the schedule has come out in the NFL for the games in week 17. And you have some possible marquee games that people are drooling over and going, you know, when you're talking about Green Bay versus Kansas City, the Rams versus the Baltimore Ravens, the Arizona Cardinals at the Cleveland Browns, Seattle Seahawks, Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, those games sound great. Those games sound juicy. Those games sound marquee. In March, it'll be interesting to see Week 17, exactly what that entails. I mean, the matchup of Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, juicy, sexy, sizzling, intriguing, entertaining. Is that really going to be the case if the Packers have already wrapped up their division? If the Kansas City used to be champions have wrapped up their division? How much are we going to see that juicy, sexy, glamorous matchup between Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. Because we know what happens with the football teams who have already wrapped up their divisions on the last week or the last game of the season. They don't play, regardless if that team has a bye week or not. Not unless you're the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick don't give a fuck. When the, when, when the Patriots were, what, 15-0 and when they played the New York Giants, everybody played, Randy Moss played, Tom Brady played, and Bill Belichick don't give a fuck. So it'll be interesting now because, again, Green Bay, Kansas City, Rams, and Baltimore Ravens. If the Ravens, I don't think they will, if the Ravens have wrapped up their division, are we going to see Lamar Jackson being chased by Aaron Donald? If the Cleveland Browns wrap up their division, how much are we going to see a Baker Mayfield versus Kyler Murray? Is Russell Wilson even going to be on the Seattle Seahawks? And what type of team are the Pittsburgh Steelers going to be next season? So all of these things, again, name, March. Yeah, they sound like interesting. But, uh, you know, before I start dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie, I'm going to uh, wait until we actually get there to see what the scenario is before I start, uh, you know, dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, just stick to that. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, uh, well, all of this stuff now we're speaking about um, another another game being added. 
taking away from the preseason game, putting it to the regular season game. It's all about money. It's all about the NFL recouping the money lost by the pandemic. 6 and 11 is going to be weird. 7 and 10 is going to be weird. 8 and 9 is going to be weird in terms of records are concerned. If a team goes, well, I mean, we already had the scenario with uh, New England when they went 16 and 0 in a regular season and Shula and the 72 Dolphins who were still hanging around were speaking about, no, 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 no. They have to win the whole damn thing. Uh-uh, we went 17 and 0. Yeah, even though the Patriots went 16 and 0 in a regular season and are going into the Super Bowl 18 and 0, which means realistically that they had a better season than us in terms of the amount of wins. Uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Larry Zonka and Jim Kink and Non Shula and... And all those guys were sitting there going, no, 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 no. You still have to win the Super Bowl. Uh-uh. Now, if they win the Super Bowl, we'll, we'll welcome them with open arms. But as of right now, no, we're still the greatest football team of the whole time because we went through the entire season undefeated. He, 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 he. All right, well, I mean, that's fine. And that's great. But uh, what happened if a team goes 17-0 in a regular season and then goes 19-0 in the Super goes 19-0 heading into the Super Bowl? I mean, damn, man, really? We're going to do that stuff? Now, unfortunately, Dick Bonacani is no longer with us in... Um, Don Shula, unfortunately, is no longer with us. So the only people who are going to be clamoring and yelling and screaming about no, 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 no are going to be clowns like Mercury Morris and Larry Zonka and those guys. But, you know, I mean, what what does that mean for the records? What does that mean for, I don't know, prestige? I mean, baseball, right? Doesn't baseball throw a conniption every time a record is challenged because the rules today or what's going on today compared to 1917 or 1896 or 1947 and this, that, and the other. And they're like, no, no, there has to be an asterisk. No, no, there has to be an explanation. No, no, there has to be some type of diminished uh, reason why Babe Ruth is still the home run king and Hank Aaron is still the home run king and, you know, Pete Rose can't get in the Hall of Fame, blah, blah, blah. So baseball is just, just totally reliant upon the George Wills and the... Tim Kirchens and the Bob Costas and the old white male fossils who want to sit there and still, you know, keep the game where it was with the Mick and Jackie Robinson and Willie and Duke and all of those type of clowns and that kind of, you know, push on to the fact that, you know, baseball in 2020, baseball in 2015, baseball in 2010, baseball in 23, a lot different. So, yeah, you can still sit there and talk about Hank Aaron being the home run king, but no, sorry. As much as I love Hank Aaron, as much as I special uh, dedicated Hank Aaron in my uh, podcast before during Black History Month when I um, profiled him, when I gave my special dedications in hero wor- worshiping to him, even though Hank Aaron is a icon, even though Hank Aaron is a, an American hero, even though Hank Aaron is a legend, even though Hank Aaron is all those things, one thing that Hank Aaron isn't, He's not the home run king. Will Barry Bonds cheat it and this, that, and the other? No, 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 Sorry. The home run king is Barry Bonds. Sorry. You might not like him because he was a dick when he played, but sorry, 767 beats 755. That's what they taught me in a math class. So, you know, all of this other stuff. I mean, you know, will the steroid era, we're going to have to put that, this, that, and the other. I mean, sorry. I mean, you can put it any way you want to. Barry Bonds is the home run king. Because I don't see anybody putting Babe Ruth as an asterisk in terms of, well, he did this before integration type of deal. So I don't I don't see where we're going to penalize Barry Bonds for 767 
because he had an unfair advantage, while Babe Ruth had a bigger unfair advantage because he had he played in a league that didn't have the best players, Hispanic or black. So tainted, asterisk, you want to play that game? You want to play that card? Okay, you're going to asterisk 767, you better damn sure asterisk 714. You better damn sure asterisk 4,291, or I forgot how many hits Ty Cobb had, but... 424 Roger Hornsby, everything before integration with Christy Matheson and Ty Cobb and Hannes Wagner and Tris Speaker and all of those guys. Joe DiMaggio, all of those guys. You want to go ahead and talk about 406 and 401 and all those other historical statistics coming from used to be America's pastime? Sure, you go ahead and do that, but you damn sure better put an asterisk on it if we're speaking about putting asterisks for the accomplishments of Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and, and Mark McGuire and such. So, I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but damn, it felt good. My main thing then, swinging all the way back to football, <laughs> making a U-turn and going back to football talking, Bill, is the fact that, look, football don't give a shit. You know, football is not going to... 12,312 Jim Brown, while he might be... What is he now? Is he even still in the top 10 as far as leading rushers in the game? I mean, we, we, you know, if, if this was baseball, excuse me, if football had baseball mentality, you know, we, we still be having these old timers uh, talking about Jim Brown is still the greatest running back of all time and 12,312 is still the correct number because when he played, he didn't have this and he didn't have that and they weren't doing this and they weren't using this, that and the other. So, hey, man, I'm glad that, you know, going to 17 games now is not going to uh, all of a sudden, you know, start saying, well, what about the records? What's going to happen to Johnny Unitas' legacy? What's going to happen to uh, uh, Jerry Rice's legacy? What's going to happen to the numbers? What's going to happen to this? What's going to happen to that? Who cares? It's all about entertainment. Adjust. 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 And when you go to um, the Hall of Fame, when you go to Canton, you know what? They're all the same. They're all Hall of Famers. And people with a brain in their head don't need to rely solely on statistics to say which player is better. And who are we to actually say who's better? Who are we to say who had a bigger impact when we're speaking about the greatest running backs of all time? What's your credentials? Did you watch Jim Brown play? Did you watch Bronco Nagurski play? Did you watch Steve Van Buren play? Did you watch Leroy Kelly play? Did you watch Franco Harris play? Did you watch Eric Dickerson play? Did you watch Marcus Allen play? Did you? Did you watch LaDamian Tomlinson play? How in the world are you going to be able to sit there and equate and sit there and rank who was greater? I can't. You can't either. It's fun. It's a fun thing. Barbershop type stuff. It's wonderful. But shit, man, there's going to be coming a time where we're going to have to explain to our youngsters we're going to have to explain to our grandchildren that, yeah, Emma Smith was really, really fucking good. <laughs> really good. We're going to have to explain to our grandkids that, you know what? Eric Dickerson, when he was at SMU, that motherfucker was bad. And, oh, yeah, there was a guy named um, Bo Jackson who, if it wasn't for Lewis Billups in a playoff game against the uh, Raiders in Cincinnati, against Cincinnati, if it wasn't for that clown, guess what? Bo Jackson might have been greatest, greater than all of them. But we'll never know. Just like the old heads that we talked to talk about, you know what? If Gail Sayers was playing in today's football, 
where, you know, surgery and all those type of things, you can come back as good as new. Gail Sayers would have played a lot longer than 68 games in four years, and just imagine how great he would have been. So, hey, man, again, it's all about entertainment. I don't worry about the records. I don't worry about, well, 17 games, that's going to skew the records. So, I mean, are we going to be speaking about, how are we going to uh, deal with most yards passing in a regular season, most yards rushing in a regular season? Now, for 17 games, how many rushing, how many runners now, what's going to be the new 2,000? Is it going to be 2,500? Is it going to be 2,700? What's going to be the new uh, wow for touchdowns? Is it now for a running back or a wide receiver? 30? 35? Passing yardage. What are we talking about here? Are we now? And now look, we're only talking one game. So, you know, someone throwing for 5,000 yards. I'm not saying the new wild is going to be 6,000 or 7,000 or some crazy shit like that. But think about it now. For passing, what's going to be the new wild number? Because when the first guy in this league's history threw for 3,000, it was like, well, shit, we're never going to see that again. Then when Joe Namath threw for 4,000, people were like, well, shit, we're never going to see that again. And then when Dan Marino, I think, threw for 5,000 in 83, we're like, shit, we're never going to see that again. I mean, when are we going to get to 5,500? Did Dan Marino throw for 5,000? Or was it Peyton Manning? I don't know, man. I don't have an encyclopedia sitting next to me. Basically, you know, these records become broken. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that as... You know, um, I'm glad 20, when 2,500 or 2,300 or 2,400 becomes the new 2,000 in terms of rushing yards, because OJ rushed for 2,000 yards, what, in 73 and 14 games, and then about 27 years later decided to, to uh, kill two people. And then, uh, who else? Eric Dickerson broke the record, but he played in 16 games. I'm glad baseball clowns went around to sit there and go, yeah, well, you got to remember that, you know, OJ did this in 14 games, and with Joe Ferguson as his quarterback, I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> so, you know, so I'm I'm just glad this whole deal in terms of, put 17 games, hey, man, you know what? If the human body was able to take 25 games of football being played, I'm quite sure they would stretch it out that much, and I'm quite sure we would absolutely, positively, undeniably love it. But this is all a situation also where it's like, let's get back that money. Because let me tell you something, the league lost a lot of money. Now, they just signed a billion dollar, what, $100 billion contract for the next 10 years. That's going to put some nice little change in their pocket. But, you know, during the pandemic, the attendance dropped. It went from 17 million in 2019 to uh, 1.2 million. That's a loss of four billion dollars. Four billion dollars from 16 billion in 2019 to 12 billion last season. Yikes! So yeah, that new 11-year media rights agreement with their partner for more than 100 billion dollars. That's going to be nice. That's going to be sweet. That's going to help. But, uh, you know, we need to have a little bit more than that because just like you and me, NFL owners are greedy. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hey, the NFL is also talking about uh, they're going to have all 32 teams play overseas at least once in an eight-year period starting in 2022. Did you hear this? There's going to be uh, four neutral side games per year uh, situation starting in 2022. The focus is going to be on, oh, Canada, Europe, Mexico, Mexico. 
South America and the UK, United Kingdom. Interesting. Growing the greatest and most popular game in this country. We can't live without football in this country. You know that, right? If the NFL said, fuck it, we're just going <laughs> to... We're just done. We're done. We cease to exist. See you later. What would you do? What would you do if there was no football? Well, we had a taste of it a little bit, um, you know, uh, with the pandemic last season, but it was like, eventually we'll get to it. If, if football just discontinued, ceased to exist, what would you do? What would you do without the routine? Well, you can ask some folks in Europe. You can ask some folks in Australia. You can ask some folks in the countries in Africa. You can ask them folks about that and they'll be like, we don't give a fuck. <laughs> we don't care. Just don't take away our football. We don't care about your football. We care about our football. And really, as much and as passionately as we are for the game of football, American football in this country, it compares nothing to the love and passion and devotion that multitude of countries across the Atlantic have for America, have for uh, football. And if you're speaking about India and that region, the game of cricket <laughs> compared to their love and devotion of cricket compared to our love and devotion of American football, <laughs> man, we ain't even close, man. We can't see them from a with a telescope in terms of their passion and glory and love for that sport. So it's it's a situation where, look, man, you know, for our country, yeah, football means everything. But for other countries, not so much. So, look, every little bit helps in terms of putting money in the pocket. And I'm, I'm quite sure the NFL is not saying, you know, move over hockey. Uh, you know, we're coming to invade your country, Canada. Move over, football. You're about to become a second-class citizen in England and Mexico because the NFL is coming. Nah, I don't I don't think so. I don't think the Premier League is shaking in their boots like, oh my goodness, the NFL is coming to the UK. What shall we do? What in the what in the what in the name of Rain of Wayne Rooney and David Beckham are we going to do? So I don't I don't think it's anything like that, you know. But uh if they could get a little crease in there, if they could get a little chunk in there, it would be nice. I I I like to equate the love affair, or I like to equate the enthusiasm of American football in these football-centric countries and regions of this planet to what it's like when, you know, these soccer, these football teams from around the world, the greatest ones from the Premier League and, um, and the others, when they come and do a little exhibition in our country and we are like all hooped up and we're all riled up because we get to see Ronaldo and we get to see Lionel Messi and we get to see uh, Mbappe and we get to see all of these awesome, awesome athletes and in, in football players. So it's like, it's an event for us. So when they come to Giants Stadium, we'll fill that joint up. When it comes out to uh, SoFi and SoCal, we'll fill that joint up. When it goes to Soldier Field, we'll fill that join up, even though it's just an exhibition, because we want to hear what the hype is. We know what that. We know how much money these guys are making. We know the fandom that these guys get. We know about their social media accounts. We know how what geniuses they are in their sport. So, folks who might either not like football at all or hardly ever follow it, 
they'll go ahead and take the time out for a one-time event to go see a Messi, to go see uh, a Ronaldo or, or someone of that ilk, someone of that stature, someone of that presence in the sport. But we ain't going to watch them on a regular basis. I mean, if Barcelona came over and started playing on Sundays during the fall in Chicago, the Bears ain't going to be worried. If the uh, if Lionel Messi's team decided, you know what, we're going to start playing our league games on Sunday during the fall in Dallas, Jerry Jones ain't going to be nervous. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, y'all can do that, but, you know, it's all about them Cowboys. So I think it would be the same thing because the NFL is looking to expand and possibly move into uh, London or Mexico or Canada and those those places. The NHL ain't worried about them. The Premier League ain't worried about them. Barcelona ain't worried about them. <laughs> you know, I mean, the NHL ain't worried about them. You know, the, 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 the Mexican soccer league, they ain't worried about them. They ain't worried about the NFL. Put a franchise down in Mexico City. We don't give a fuck. It ain't going to disrupt our love and our passion for our main sport in this country. Same thing in London. Y'all go go ahead. Move the Jacksonville Jaguars up here. We don't give a fuck. It ain't going to take it away from any of the... We ain't going to take away from Chelsea. Chelsea ain't going to be, uh, you know, shaking in the boots. So, you know, y'all can do, go ahead and do that. But when the Premier League is on, I can guarantee you not too many people are going to be watching the uh, the London Jaguars. So, you know, you, you can do that. Now, look, popularity is growing in all of those sports as far as in all of those countries. The league is growing in the United Kingdom, according to league research, that there's more than 15 million NFL fans in the UK, including 4 million quote-unquote avid fans. Sky Sports weekly ratings have doubled during the past decade, and overnight TV viewership, including the league's red zone channel, has rose 32% uh, during the uh, past season. The New York Giants, the Chicago Bears, the Miami Dolphins, they're the most popular teams in London in the United Kingdom, not the Jacksonville Jaguars who go up there seeming like every other year. So interesting. And as I mentioned before, London, England has been mentioned as a serious contender for an NFL franchise when the league does add two expansion teams. Not if, but when. Remember, greed, recouping money. Why would you not, in the next couple of years, try to add two more teams? And London has been mentioned. Now look, it's a five-hour difference in terms of time zones, making it just two hours farther from the East Coast than playing in the Pacific time zone. I I, I don't know in terms of uh, since they play once a week, it could be doable. But, I mean, we, we've heard stories when teams are flying over to London that they take their own water and they take their own food. So it would be a cultural uh, shock also. And when you're speaking about football, American football, the people who are playing it are mainly Americans. One of the reasons why I think an NBA Europe will, would work is because you take a look at the NBA rosters right now and you have multiple players from all over the country, Europe, or all over this planet, Europe, Africa, um, Brazil, uh, South America, Canada, um, Australia. So for them, it wouldn't be like that much of a culture shock if, for instance, the NBA decided to uh, set up shop in Barcelona or Frankfurt or London or one of those places. Because I'm quite sure if you take a look at the rosters, you've got multiple people who are from that region. So, I mean, Luca going back over to the, uh, going over to Europe to play in NBA Europe, which be which would be an extension of the NBA. He wouldn't care. He'd probably be a little bit more comfortable doing that. So, same thing with Giannis. 
Same thing with uh, a lot of these guys. I mean, you know, NFL Africa. I mean, NBA Africa. Joel Embiid, that's where he came from. So, you know, I think that would be the huge difference. I mean, you're speaking about now a majority of Americans um, playing in a another country and having to adapt to that. Wouldn't that also be somewhat of a disadvantage for that team to be playing over in London, over in that uh, over in that area? At least for the first year, they get themselves acclimated, not just, uh, you know, the travel and everything like that, but just an entirely different way of life. So, you know, that, that would be an interesting, that would be an interesting look. Interesting type of dynamic if that happened. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. NFL in Canada. There's statistics. I know you've got the CFL out there, eh? But statistics are beginning to show that the NFL is rapidly rising in popularity throughout the country with many regions now watching more NFL than they do CFL. Ho, 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 ho. According to Canadian TV, NFL viewership across Canada it's grown by 33%. And one of the reasons for the popularity across uh, that the NFL has across Canada seems to be you know, the differences in the way they play between the NFL and CFL, which makes the game something a little bit different. I mean, we just can't have chicken every day. Sometimes we have to have steak, right? So that's the deal. Which one for Canada and the NFL, CFL, I mean, there's a nice little dichotomy here. You know, variety as the spice of life. And if you're speaking about the... Uh, Buffalo Bills, they're incredibly popular across Canada, partially due to the proximity to Ontario and the fact they're just 15 miles away and two hours across the border. And a few seasons ago, they played some of their home games in Toronto. Much to the dismay and chagrin of the Toronto Argonauts. People from Ontario province, like the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Denver Broncos, Wonder why you like the why do y'all like the Denver Broncos? What y'all still remember having good memories of John Elway and um, Terrell Smith? So you've got uh, Pittsburgh, you've got Denver, and the New England Patriots. They're very popular in the uh, Ontario province. Now in the Prairie region, which is Alberta, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, their most popular team is the Minnesota Vikings for the longest. But now you've got a new following with the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears. So it's, it's all a deal. Now, despite the growing popularity, again, the CFL remains a more popular sport. It's been around for over 100 years. It's been a lot longer. It's been in existence a lot longer than the NFL, if you can believe that. Um, and again, hockey is still the national pastime and a way of life in that country. So, you know, in the name of Sidney, Sidney Crosby and um, that kid in Edmonton, oh shit, damn, what's his name? McDavid or something like that? McDonald, whatever. You know, the um, that sport is not going to be golfed up by the NFL. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Mexico, NFL in Mexico. Been a steady growth of Hispanic fandom over the past decade. According to the SSRS Luker on Trend Sports Poll, there was an all-time 30.2 million Hispanic NFL fans living in the U.S. in 2019, and that's up from 5% from the previous year. That growth can be traced to the strategic business campaigns and grassroots programs the league has implemented in the recent years. You know, like how Major League Baseball has their RBI to try to get black folks to play baseball a little bit longer, but get to play baseball a little bit more. Well, the NFL has reached out to the Hispanic communities here in 
the here in this country, and it's starting to uh, make some inroads. The NFL has a market share of over 20 million people in Mexico City. And if you're speaking about the last game played in Mexico City between Kansas City and the L.A. Chargers, was sold out over 70,000 people. And Mexico City also has a pro sports stadium. Because, as I mentioned before, that game between the Chargers and Kansas City in November of 2019 drew over 76,000 people, which was uh, huge, which was awesome. And if you're speaking about, you know, the stadium that they would be playing in, I mean, that stadium is bigger than most of the NFL stadiums in the uh, here in the States. Bigger than Lambeau, bigger than Soldiers, bigger than FedEx, bigger than, not bigger than Jerry World, but it's, uh, it's big. So you're speaking about, you know, when the, when the uh, Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys played the Houston Oilers back in 1994, exhibition game. That stadium, that, that, that drew 112,000 people. 112,000! Now, I'm guessing in a pipe dream that the NFL puts a franchise in Mexico City. I'm seriously doubting that they're, for their eight home games, they're going to be getting 112,000 people. But uh, still, that's great. That's great. And also, Mexico City shares the same time zones as many of the, many of the NFL teams. So it wouldn't be that huge of a difference. The problem is, though, is that the rate of Hispanic representation in the NFL among players and coaches are far lower than the ethnic breakdown of the uh, population here in this country. You think black folks are getting the short end of the stick in terms of coaches and everything. Hispanics are sitting there going, well, damn, at least y'all had a couple of coaches. We got Ron Rivera and what else? We got a couple of players, Alejandro Villanueva and a couple of others playing our sport, playing the sport. But other than that, that's it. You guys are talking about, you know, no black quarterbacks, which y'all should be complaining about, and black head coaches and all this kind of stuff. Shit. We can't even get ourselves a, damn near get ourselves a water boy who's Hispanic. So, you know, according to the Institute of Diversity and and uh, Ethics in Sports, only eight, eight of the 1,675 players, which is 0.5% for which there is data in the 2019 uh, census, were Hispanic or Latino that played in the league. And that was down from 18. (laughs) It went from 18 to uh, eight. Oh, there you go. Down from 18 uh, in 2016. So I don't know, man. I don't know. And and plus, I don't know. Plus you're talking about elevation. Plus you're talking about a new environment. Plus you're talking about crime. Plus you're talking about all of those things. So I don't know. 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 I would love to go down to Mexico City and check it out. But, you know, to live down there, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Uh, I don't speak the language, so that would be highly. That would be a huge roadblock for me. But um, the NFL does that. Look, if the NFL is looking to expand, they've got plenty of places in this country. Why are we going to send teams to Winnipeg or Toronto or well, Vancouver's awesome. But why are we looking to send NFL franchises? to Germany and Mexico and London and all these other places where you've got St. Louis and Oakland and San Antonio and San Diego and Portland and Salt Lake City and any and, and many, many more who could uh who could uh do some good with the uh, with an NFL franchise in their country, uh, in their uh, state, in their city. Why 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 are we looking to to go into football populated uh, regions. 
I mean, why can't we just continue to do what we're doing now? Hold an exhibition game over in uh, Mexico. Hold a, a couple of games over in um, over in uh, in Europe or in South America or in Canada. Maybe the Bills want to play a game or two over in um, Toronto. Maybe the Seattle Seahawks would want to play a game or two up in uh, Vancouver. I don't know. That's just if I'm St. Louis. San Antonio, Portland, others. I'm like, hey, man, you know, really? We're going to go across these, huh? That's, that's how it's going to be like. Interesting. I still think that the expansion is going to happen. But uh, we also have to kind of be realistic and kind of think, hey, man, we, this country, America, the selfish, ignorant, divided states of America, we have the great game. We have the game. We have our game. Football, football here in this country trying to uh, lend itself over to other countries and see what they can do to grow it that way. Nah, man, if we're going to be looking to grow our game, America's game, and it truly is American, there is no other football league, there is no other, the way, tackle football league in any other part of the world. If you're in college football and you don't get drafted by the NFL or you don't get in a job in the NFL, you're through. If you play basketball, there's basketball leagues all over the world. If you play baseball, there's baseball leagues, especially in the Far East where you can go and play. Hockey, you've got leagues all over the world. Tackle football, there's only one. There is no secondary league, as far as I know. So, you know, let's let's keep the NFL, let's keep it American. Hot dogs, apple pie, Chevrolet, football. Let's, uh, for our sport, let's keep it that way. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking now about the NFL draft coming up here. Uh, I guess what you say about four weeks, huh? So we still got four more weeks of rumor and innuendo and lies and half-truths and reading between the lines when it comes to these quarterbacks. Which team is going to make a move? Which team is in love with one guy, which team is not in love with another guy, which team is going to sell the farm to try to move up in the draft, all those things, all centered around the quarterback. Possibly a pretty good, um, I guess you can label quarterbacks as far as draftees are concerned or draft prospects are concerned. I guess in terms for me, broadcasters, people who talk about them, you can label them in two categories. One, the ones that are actually legit. The ones that, you know what, there's about three or four quarterbacks in this 
upcoming draft that really have a chance to do some things in the league. You have an alpha male and you have a couple who are going to be pro bowlers or franchise quarterbacks and another who might be on the fringe. And there even might be some in the third or fourth round who might turn themselves into reliable, pretty good game managing type of quarterbacks. We have that category. Then we have a category where we have quarterbacks that are going to be in the draft. A couple of might make the first round, but for the most part, because of the plethora of quarterbacks that are going to be in this draft, that we're just going to make up scenarios and we're just going to make up storylines and we're just going to overhype these uh, scenarios so there'll be something for us to talk about. You know, it's not sexy to talk about who's going to be the first offensive lineman taken or it's not sexy to talk about, you know, which prospect is going to be a better middle, middle linebacker or free safety. For the layman, it's kind of hard to kind of uh, separate Who's going to be the better offensive guard? Who's going to be the better defensive tackle? Who's going to be the better middle linebacker? All of those things the layman can't understand. But when it comes to the skill positions like quarterback, running back, wide receiver, since we have a little bit more knowledge about them because of what they do on the football field, especially when you're speaking about the quarterback, it gives us more stuff to talk about. It, it gives people like me, myself, and you a little bit more of a falsehood that we we know a little bit more about what we're talking about when this team should draft this guy or this quarterback is going to be great or this running back is going to be awesome or this wide receiver is going to be a bust or something like that. Because of the skilled players, we have a little bit more knowledge or information, we think, to kind of give our thoughts and opinions about what our team should do about that. I'm not going to sit here and talk about, I cannot believe with the 17th pick, these guys, if they don't pick that guard out of Penn State over that guard from Texas, are you fucking kidding me? We don't do that, but we do that with quarterbacks. If this guy, if they pick Matt Jones over Justin Fields, what in the holy hell are they doing? If they pick Zach Wilson and don't trade Sam Donald, this, that, and the other, I mean, so we have a little bit more of a, starting point at the barbershop, at the club, at the bar, at the restaurant to uh, be speaking about these things. Depending upon what club are you talking about here. Now, when we're talking about the 18 to 23, 24-year-old club that includes the ladies on a Friday night, I don't think that it's going to be a good starter to come up and say, hey, can I buy you a drink and talk about the, where uh, Justin Fields should go in the draft? Yay, yay, yay. I don't think that would really be a good start if you wanted to be knocking them boots, so, so to speak. But uh, if you're at another type of club where it's a little bit more mature and a little bit more of a less meat market type of a, of a feel, then those type of conversations could be had. But you get my drift. So when we're speaking about the NFL draft coming up, what what's, what's going on here with the rise of Mac Jones? Remember when I was talking about on my last podcast? If you don't remember, get your punk ass up. Go ahead, download, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And then listen to what I was talking about concerning Mac Jones or the trade with the San Francisco 49ers involving the Miami Dolphins and the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. I was speaking to myself and I was talking and I was saying to myself, self and self said, yeah, Wendell. If the Dolphins and the 49ers and the Eagles, they do the thing, they get it together. Now we have the 49ers with the number three pick. I'm going to go on my podcast today and I'm going to say after all, after using some common sense here and reading in between the lines and doing my research, I'm going to go on my podcast and I'm going to say that with the number three pick, the 49ers are going to choose 
between Justin Fields out of Ohio State or Trey Lance out of uh, North Dakota State. And I'm going to make the argument that, you know, with Jimmy G still on the roster and the 49ers saying, no, 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 we're not going to trade him. We're not going to trade him. No, 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 no. He's still going to be our starting quarterback. That sounds about right in terms of if you draft Trey Lance, since Lance is not going to be ready to be the starter on opening day, yeah, you're going to keep Jimmy G around because you need that bridge quarterback for when uh, Trey Lance does become ready to take the realms of or take the reins for the football team. And why would you go ahead and draft Trey Lance that high if you're the San Francisco 49ers? A, because everybody says as far as potential is concerned and talent is concerned and just physical attributes are concerned, the biggest um, the, the biggest chance for this guy to be, you know, franchise quarter-ish, quarterbacker-ish, that uh, Trey Lance, maybe outside of uh, Trevor Lawrence, is has more talent and has more potential than Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. So because of that, you have Lance going to a quarterback guru and offensive uh, mastermind and Cal Shanahan. You already have a quarterback in place who's a couple of years removed from taking this team or being a quarterback on a team that was a few minutes away from winning the Super Bowl and Jimmy G. So you're still going to have a competitive team. You're still going to have a lot of defensive players coming back. And so the defense is going to be a little bit better, even though you lost your defensive coordinator. So for the 49ers, you go ahead, you draft Trey Lance. And basically, you did, you do, you replicate what the Kansas City football team and Andy Reid did when they drafted Patrick Mahomes at number 12. They still had Alex Smith. They still had a team that they, that could compete. So they kept Patrick Mahomes on ice. They let Alex Smith do his thing. And when Mahomes was ready to go, they passed the torch over to him. And the rest is history. And Alex Smith is now looking for a job. The same thing now, I thought, what happened with the San Francisco 49ers. You have Jimmy Garoppolo for a year to uh, get the team to, I don't know, maybe 10-7, and 7, maybe 11-6, and 6, maybe 9-8. and 8. And when the season's over, by that time, you would have gotten... Trey Lance ready for the 2022 season to take over and become the starting quarterback and to start that venture, start that journey, start that era with him. That's what I thought. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was assuming when I was first coming across across this trade, reading and then deducing what exactly was going to happen. Well, how wrong was I on that one? Because by a lot of accounts, and again, this could be smoke screen. So the truth cannot be seen and some other things. There's a lot of chatter out there that the San Francisco 49ers, they're not going to draft Justin Fields with the number three pick. They're not going to draft Trey Lance with the number three pick. They're going to draft Mac Jones. Mac Jones out of Alabama. That's a scuttlebutt. They're interested. Not saying it's a foregone conclusion. Not saying that's a, they're a done deal. But, you know, when there's smoke, there's fire. Kind of like the same thing when the Browns were like speaking and they had the number one pick and it was like, Baker Mayfield, really? You're going to draft Baker Mayfield over Sam Darnold and, and on some of these other guys? Baker Mayfield, really? The walk-on from Texas Tech who then went over to uh, Oklahoma? That guy? That would be interesting. At the beginning of the process, it was like, no. But as the smoke became an inferno, uh, fire was raised into an inferno, it was like, yeah, I guess they fucking are. So while the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to draft Trevor Lawrence, and the all indications are pointing to the New York Jets drafting 
Zach Wilson, you have the San Francisco 49ers trading up, trading up to select a guy who eight, 10 months ago wasn't on anybody's radar in Mac Jones. So what are we doing here? What are we talking about here? Where are we going here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace as the host? What are we going to do here? What are we going to deduce from this? Basically, is he going to be the next Joe Burrow? Or is he going to be the next, next Mitchell Trubisky? What am I talking about? I'll explain. Players who are being graded largely on the one great season they had in college. Now, I'm quite sure that, you know, when Tua Tungabailoa was doing the thing in college and they had the pro days and all this kind of stuff, maybe... Maybe, possibly, Mac Jones got a, a smidgen of a glance from pro scouts. Maybe in garbage time, maybe when Tua went down and Mac Jones came in, maybe he got a, 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 a little sliver of a look-see to see what type of quarterback he is. But moving into the uh, what he, coming into the 2020 season, people who are like Mac Jones, I mean, he might not even be the starting quarterback uh, for the upcoming season. Bryce Young the highly recruited uh, freshman from uh, Matter Day in Southern California. All indications are, all possibilities are, all assumptions are, he's going to be the starting quarterback for Alabama, not Mac Jones. Mac Jones? Tua's backup? That Mac Jones? Really? Well, guess what he did. (laughs) I mean, guess what Mac Jones did. And as he was rising... As he was putting up these ridiculous numbers through three quarters, because by the fourth quarter, there was no need to play him because Alabama was already up 206 to four. Yes, right. That's right. The other team had two safeties. It was a situation where it was kind of like, man, you know what? Mac Jones is playing himself into possibly, I don't know, fuck it. What, a late round draft pick? Then a late round draft pick became a mid round draft pick. But that's where I thought the brakes would be put on. But no. And as I mentioned before, the next Joe Burrow or the next Mitchell Trubisky, because the same type of thing happened with um, Joe Burrow and Trubisky in terms of two guys who were, you know, going into the the year where they blew up, where had no indication that they were going to be blowing up. Joe Burrow was some undistinguished backup redshirt quarterback at Ohio State, who had to transfer to LSU because he couldn't beat out the all-legendary Dwayne Haskins. So then he transfers to LSU after his sophomore season as a redshirt, redshirt junior. Yeah, he helped the Tigers to a 10-3 record. Had a nice win over uh, UFC, University of uh, Central Florida, and the Fiesta Bowl. Finished the season number six in the AP final AP rankings. And Burrow was nice. He was okay. He had a pretty good uh, game against Auburn. Which kind of like, okay, well, we got ourselves a a solid, decent starting quarterback here for LSU for the first time in a little bit. Finished the season with 2,800 yards, 16 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. Rushed for over 400 yards, 7 rushing touchdowns. Nice. Fine. Good. But nothing. Nothing like what happened when uh, LSU went out and got Joe Brady and for his senior year where LSU won the national championship, blew out everybody. This man, all of a sudden, Joe Burrow, completed 76% of his 527 passes, over 5,600 yards, 60 touchdowns, and six interceptions, and then won the Heisman Trophy and had over 1,800 votes more than a runner-up, Jalen Hurts, was what, which was the biggest margin of victory in 
Heisman Trophy history. If you would have came into that season and said Joe Burrow was going to do some shit like that, you would have said, where in Mississippi, what crossroads in Mississippi did he go to to sell his soul to the devil to come back like that? Robert Johnson has been reincarnated as a quarter, as a white quarterback from Ohio to be able to make that transformation from what he was as a junior to a senior. So was, he got drafted number one in the NFL, and he had a pretty good, uh, in a pretty good uh, uh, first season. Of course, he tore his ACL and MCL in week eleven against my Washington Snyderskins. But for the most part, it turned out that you know what? Maybe Joe Burrow was not a one-year wonder. It's surrounded by unbelievable talent, unbelievable skill positions, unbelievable offensive line, and a excellent, perfect marriage as far as a coach and a coordinator is concerned or a passing coordinator is concerned. That was not a fluke. That wasn't a situation of Joe Burrow being the product of an unbelievable season and an unbelievable football team and an unbelievable talented cast around him. That, yeah, Joe Burrow can actually play. So is that going to be Mac Jones? Is Mac Jones going to follow that uh, script? And Mac Jones is going to uh, uh, be the sequel of Joe Burrow makes it in the NFL? Joe Burrow, the, uh, the, the, the Ohio kid, does good? Are we now going to run the sequel, Mac Jones, the Jacksonville, Florida kid, done good? Or is he going to be Mitchell Trubisky? Ah, Mitchell Trubisky. Bear fans, you know that man. You know that guy's name, don't you? Played three years in North Carolina. First two seasons didn't start. Threw a combined 125 passes for 11 touchdowns and four interceptions in garbage time. Then his junior year became the starter. Dum, dum, dum. Started all 13 games. Threw for over 3,700 yards, 30 touchdowns, six interceptions. All of a sudden now, wow, Mitchell Trubisky, he's got that talent. He's got that arm strength. He's got that build. He's got this. He's got that. Hey, man, you know what? Yeah, I know he's only done this for one year, but he's got all the physical attributes. He can make all the throws. He can do this. He can. He looks like a franchise quarterback. Trubisky, right? So the Chicago Bears <laughs> drafted him with the second pick in the uh, 2017 NFL draft, said, yeah, yeah, Deshaun Watson might have won a, um, might have won a um, championship, might have, uh, you know, finished in the top three or four in the Heisman Trophy, but, you know, made the, put, put Clemson on the map, you know, made Dabo Sweeney a household name. Yeah, he did all those things, but, uh, you know, we're not going to draft him. We're drafting Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah, that Patrick Mahomes guy, I mean, the guy who threw for a zillion yards, in uh, the Big 12 for Texas Tech. Yeah, we haven't heard of that before. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, a little bit too much of a wild card. A little too much of a gunner. A little too unconventional for us. We'll go with the statues. We'll go with Mitchell Trubisky. How did that work out for you, man? Chicago, how did that work out for you? Oh, I'm sorry. He's backing up uh, Josh Allen in Buffalo this year. Because every indication was being a starting quarterback in the NFL, not happening. Franchise quarterback, not happening. We can now officially label Mitchell Trubisky a bust. And that was before he had the quote of saying, you know what, they're showing all of this negative bear talk in the locker rooms, in the uh, in the uh, training facilities, at the team facilities. We need to turn that stuff off because we don't need to be hearing that type of negativity. What in the holy hell? So what are we dealing with with Mac Jones? Where are we going with Mac Jones? 
A guy who threw for 4,500 yards, uh, completed 77% of his 402 passes for 41 touchdowns, four interceptions. Where are we going? Is he Trubisky? Or is he Burrow? Because just like Joe Burrow, take a look at the talent that was surrounding Mac Jones last season. He had the best running back, best wide receiver, best offensive line in college football. What are we doing here? Where are we going here? Where does this stand? I don't know. I can't tell you because I, I'm not a quarterback scout. I'm not a quarterback guru. I don't sit there and break down film. So I, I couldn't tell you. I can't be definitive on, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be this. and or this. Oh, yeah, this guy's going to be a bust. I, I have no idea. I don't know if Matt Jones being drafted in number three and the responsibilities that go with number three, not only just the physical attributes, now you're talking about the added responsibility of, hey, man, you know, guess what? We drafted you number three. We moved up to draft you number three. We turned down Justin Fields and Trey Lance to draft you at number three. So whether it's New England or wherever Justin Fields falls, if all of a sudden he comes out the gate and he's doing work and Mac Jones isn't, he's also going to, is he going to be mentally strong enough to deal with, hey man, you know, what the fuck? Boo, boo, the 60, 65% of the folks who are going to be watching the game live at the stadium down in uh, Frisco. I mean, is he going to be able to handle that? Is he going to be able to be strong enough, mentally strong enough, if, 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 if Justin Fields comes out and starts doing work to be consistently asked, hey, uh, you know, Justin Fields is doing some really good stuff, and the 49ers, you know, they could have had him, but they chose you. I mean, what's up? And you're struggling right now. I mean, you know, what, what what's happening? San Francisco... I have to tell them around them to be a playoff team. I mean, this is not a rebuilding project for the 49ers. So again, with Matt Jones, if you're going to draft him at number three, Matt Jones, I don't think has the extraordinary talent. He's not a Trey Lance to where, yeah, you know, in three or four years, Matt Jones could be the best quarterback, could be a top three quarterback or top four quarterback in the league. By multitude of scouts, People are saying, hey, you know what, by the year 2027, Trey Lance could be one of these guys we talk about as a franchise quarterback. It's one of the top-tier quarterbacks in the league. And I was thinking, you know, you give that type of talent, you give that type of raw talent to someone like Mike Sh- uh, Kyle Shanahan, I mean, wouldn't that work a little bit better, especially if you're so adamant on keeping Jimmy Garoppolo for at least half a year or a year, if that's what they're saying is true? But I don't know. I'm not in those meetings Kyle Shanahan knows a lot more about this than I do, so I don't. I, 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 I don't I'm not going to sit there and argue with the guy. I don't, I don't know. I, if he feels that uh, Mac Jones is the guy, then all right. Who am I to sit there and tell him that he's wrong? But I will say one thing. Um, you know, before we start saying, you know, Kyle Shanahan, you know, do your thing, and you know, when you say jump, we'll say how high. He hasn't been perfect. Do you remember? Remember when? Kyle Shanahan was given Jimmy Garoppolo and everybody was sitting there going, you know, Bill Belichick did uh, did uh, uh, Kyle Shanahan a, 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 a favorite, you know, gave, gave, him a, gave him a gem, did him a solid, giving him Garoppolo because he was angry at Robert Kraft because Robert Kraft had to choose between Tom Brady and Garoppolo and Bill Belichick wanted to keep Garoppolo and 
then Kraft was like, no, you're keeping uh, Tom Brady. And Tom Brady was like, you know, if this guy's going to be my successor, I'm not looking to succeed anytime soon. So I guess you should get the fuck out of here in terms of Garoppolo. So when Belichick traded him to the San Francisco 49ers, everybody was talking about, man, what a coup. This is awesome. This is great. Garoppolo is great. Garoppolo is this. Garoppolo is that. And we thought that marriage between him and Kyle Shanahan would be gold, right? Right? So if that's the case, why are the San Francisco 49ers looking for another quarterback less than three years later? Two years removed from, or one year removed from going to the Super Bowl with this guy. If Kyle Shanahan was so awesomely great to where, you know, if he if he served the shit and told it it was filet mignon, and we just said, okay, open wide, why then in 2017 did he draft Solomon Thomas or him and John Lynch decided to draft Solomon Thomas with the number three pick and missed the opportunity to draft Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Instead, they drafted C.J. Beathard at the quarterback in the fifth round instead of Watson, instead of Mahomes. You want to know what Solomon's career was all about with the 49ers? Okay, okay, I'll tell you. Played 48 games, started 30, made 95 tackles, 73 solo, including 16 for losses, six sacks, one fumble, one fumble recovery, recovery, no impact, no nothing. The 49ers declined the fifth-year option on his contract and making him a free agent, and, and he just signed a one-year deal with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. So the moral of the story, hey, even those who know what they're doing at a high level, even those who are as brilliant as Kyle Shanahan, even they make mistakes. So I'm, I'm justified in not calling out you know, Shanahan is saying, you're wrong. You don't know what you're doing. You're an idiot. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be that ignorant, but I'm just, if, I, I don't know if, if, if you feel that Mac Jones is your guy, he fits your system. All right. All right. But you know, jobs are, you know, jobs are, are won and lost. Coaches are fired over these type of decisions. And as great as Kyle Shanahan is, I don't know. I don't know with that decision. But because of his resume, because of what he's done, his work with Matt Ryan, his work with Kirk Cousins, his work one year with RG3, even his work with Jimmy Garoppolo, his, as a play caller and all of those things, because of his success that he's had, if he feels that Matt Jones is better than Justin Fields and Trey Lance, and that's the guy at number three? All right. All right. Well, I guess I have to go with you on that one. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So Matt Jones had his pro day on Tuesday. You know who else had his pro day on Tuesday? Justin Fields. Ran a 440-40 yard dash in uh, without pads, without a helmet, without a jersey, without pants. He had on shorts. Calm down. Uh, but uh, nice. That's okay. That's fine. So, uh, you know, but there's been some controversy surrounding him. Uh, how about that? A black quarterback with a little bit of controversy. Ah, do we have to go through this again? Do we have to fight these stereotypes again? What are we doing here? Dan Orlowski, who I'm not saying this, I'm, I'm not blaming Orlowski for this. So people were like, oh, Dan Orlowski, what are you fucking racist? No, he's not racist. He's just, he's just speaking on some information that he's got. So I'm not coming here and saying that Dan Orlowski's a racist from what I know of. Never met the man personally, but from everything that I've seen, I'm going to go on the assumption that Dan Orlowski, 
does not think black people are inferior. So he was on the Pat McAfee show Wednesday, and he shared some reasons that he's hearing that Fields, a reason why Fields is sliding down on the draft boards. Came into the season, everybody was like, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, in terms of the first two players who were going to be drafted, regardless of what either did. But now we see that he's sliding down the draft board. So according to Dan Orlowski, what he's being told by his sources is that, you know, Fields is not showing the work ethic or the devotion to the game that they are expecting, that there's a lack of work ethic. Here we go, here we go. How about that? So he said, let me see what he said here. He said that uh, on the McAfee show, Olaski said, one, I have heard that he is a last guy in, first guy out type of quarterback, like not a maniacal work, like not the maniacal work ethic. I've even heard it compared to Justin Herbert while it was like, dude, when Justin Herbert showed up, he was like a psychopath when it came to working and getting ready for the draft. Or even at a, or even at school, like, give me more. I want to work nonstop. And I've heard that there are issues with Justin Fields' work ethic. Okay, and the second thing that Orlowski said, as far as what his scouts were telling him, what his sources were telling him, was that where is his, deg- where is his desire to be a great quarterback? I think that there is a desire to be a big-time athlete from what, is expressed to me but where is his desire to be a great quarterback and to be great you got to be willing to find the things that you are not good at and just freaking grind on them okay i have questions about this and again i'm not this if this is orlowski saying this okay so i don't think orlowski has some type of hidden agenda because he hates black people to say i'm going to sabotage justin fields like even if even if this was the opinion of Orlowski, even if that was his agenda, like really, you know, decision makers with the 49ers or with the Falcons or with the Denver Broncos or with the Carolina Panthers or or like the New England Patriots who need quarterback, that's what they're going to rely on, Dan Orlowski? We really like Justin Fields, but I heard on the Pat McAfee show, Orlowski saying that uh, Fields has no work ethic and he's not devoted to the game. Oh, okay, fuck it. Let's move on. Maybe Kyle Trask we could draft. So, I, you know, I, 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 I don't know exactly about that one. But what I have in terms of questions about this, this quote or these feelings about Justin Fields is, again, I want to know who made those assessments. Put your name behind it, man. I'm so fucking tired of anonymous scouts. Tell me who it is. If you're going to go ahead and accuse Justin Fields of this, tell me who it is. Give me an idea so I can go ahead and then compute that to see if it's valid or not. I don't know. Maybe Justin Fields is a guy who comes in last and leaves first. I don't know. Maybe Justin Fields is a guy who doesn't have any desire to be great. I don't know. I've never met Justin Fields. I've never talked to Justin Fields. I've never been in a meeting room with Justin Fields. I've never broken down film with Justin Fields. I don't know. So I have no idea. I've never been in the same vicinity as Justin Fields. So for me to dispute this 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 uh, report that um, that that Orlowski is getting, I don't know because I don't know. So I need to find out exactly who said it. Was it someone from Ohio State? Was it from someone from Georgia? Was it someone that's been working with Fields to prepare on this pro day to get ready for the NFL draft? Who is this? Was it playing into the racist stereotype that's faced black quarterbacks for the I don't know about the past seven decades in this league? 
Yes, and I think so. But then again, I want to find out who said it. Maybe the person who's saying that is, is a credible source. Maybe it's someone who's been like, well, you know, he has been right before about these things. And maybe this is the start of the deluge where there's people coming out saying, yeah, you know, I mean, there were situations where Fields was not doing this or not doing that or didn't show the desire or what's, what's your definition of not showing the desire? Why? Because instead of spending 14 hours a day, seven days a week, he spent 12 hours a day, six days a week. I don't know. What's your definition of lack of desire to be great? I got to put that into context. And for me to put that into context better, I need to find out the guy who's saying those type of things. Is this a white guy? Is this a black guy? Is this a young guy? Is this an old guy? What's his experience? What, who has he worked with? Has he um, evaluated quarterbacks before? Well, what are we doing here? I need some context before I say, oh, this is complete and utter bullshit. Or, oh, this is, you know, right on, right down the line. Maybe we should throw up a red flag. I don't know. I don't know. So maybe it's someone from Georgia. Maybe he was a lazy piece of shit who really didn't care when he came to Georgia. Maybe that's the reason why he didn't start and Jake from State Farm did Maybe it was that wake-up call. Maybe it was the fact that he didn't succeed for the first time in his life that made Justin Fields say, whoa, shit, you know what? Maybe I need to start putting a little bit more emphasis on how great I can be. Maybe I should um, do something in terms of maximizing my potential. Maybe that's the time when he was a 19, 20-year-old in college. He grew up and said, I want to, uh, the light came on, shall we say. So are we, is this a guy from Georgia who's saying that? And is that exactly what happened? Then he went to North Carolina, excuse me, then he went to Ohio State and dedicated himself? I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's too many scenarios for me to just say, yep, that report's right, or nope, that report's wrong. And the same thing should be said for Olaski in terms of, look, I'm not saying this is true or not. This is what I'm hearing. So I, just, I hate when they do that bullshit. Well, sources say, put your fucking name on it. Motherfuckers who run in the clan like to fucking put their hoods over their, their faces. Man, if you don't like black folks or you think black folks are inferior and you and you really care about them, you really feel that way, why are you hiding yourself? Should I say I don't, I don't need to be hiding under nothing? Should I say I don't need to be hiding myself? I don't need to be saying anonymous. If I'm going to say something to somebody, put my name on it. That's how confident I am. That's how strong my belief is. So, I don't know. I don't know. When will potential NFL franchises even get a look? Zoom call or something with, with Fields. to ask him to break down something or to ask him some questions or something. I don't know. I don't know. You know but you, you work, work ethic, leadership, devotion to the game. I mean, that's different than any fundamental flaw someone might have. Justin Fields, one of the concerns is, Fields processing and tendency to hold the ball for too long in the pocket. Okay, that's valid, and that's fixable. I mean, you, you can fix that. I don't know if you can teach someone to love the game enough to deal with the bullshit that goes on to be a franchise quarterback. I don't. I don't know if you can teach somebody that. I don't know if you can mentor somebody into being maniacally in love with the game and the work ethic and everything that it takes to be a great quarterback, according to great quarterbacks who be, who were. Great quarterbacks. I don't think you can teach someone to be a leader of men if they're not. Kawhi Leonard is figuring that out right now. That it, Even if you're a great player, it's a difference between being a great player and being a great leader. You can be a great leader and be 
uh, uh, average player or just a good player and have the same amount of impact to your franchise and to the success of your team than the great player who is just willing to uh, let the great leader lead. See Kawhi Leonard. So I don't know. So those are some pretty heavy deals in terms of those are some pretty heavy accusations being leveled at Justin Fields. And for a guy who um, for two years, how many bad games did he have in two years? Two, three? You're gonna keep harping on Indiana and Northwestern? You're not gonna you're not going to uh equate what he did against Clemson? You're not gonna equate all the other games that he played? You're not going to equate the transformation or the improvement that he made from his freshman year to his sophomore year? You're not going to equate the leadership he showed when the Big Ten were uh, looking to uh, get back to playing college football? That doesn't fall into leadership? If someone is not devoted to the game, if someone doesn't have the work ethic, how could he make that improvement from his first year to a second year and the second year to a third year. Because one of the things the scouts did say was, you know what, some of the flaws that he had in his sophomore season, his first year playing quarterback at Ohio State, he improved on them for his junior season. So what are we talking about here? If he didn't have any work ethic, how did he improve? Is his work ethic good enough just to improve enough to get by? Is his work ethic just good enough to be good, pretty good? when his potential is excellent, when his potential is sky high, which then leads to the definition or which then leads to the conclusion that he doesn't have devotion to the game, that he doesn't want to be great to the game, that he doesn't want to be an all-time great because he's got Rasheed Wallace disease, he's got Lamar Odom disease, that he's just content on being marginal, that he's content just being good. I don't know. What's your definition of that? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I don't think that I don't think that's playing into Mike Shanahan. Uh, not only Mike Shanahan, I don't think that's playing into Kyle Shanahan. That oh my goodness gracious! I heard that uh, I heard that Justin Fields it the uh, first one first one out and the last one in or some shit like that. I I, I don't know. And so so because of that, I'm going to draft Mac, Mac Jones. I don't see Justin Fields getting past Carolina or Denver. I don't see him getting past New England. I don't see a Matt Leinart type of situation. I don't see a Geno Smith type of situation on draft day. I don't see a Aaron Rodgers situation on draft day. I don't see a, um, oh, that kid from Notre Dame. What the fuck was his name? Uh, who was doing the Fox, who was doing the uh, Fox Sports college football pregame in the morning? Oh, fuck it. I don't know. Well, it'll, it, it escapes me. But it, it, it's not going to be a Johnny Manziel situation where, you know, this guy who was supposed to be a top three or four draft pick all of a sudden now uh, is going to be dropping to the teens and to the 20s. Justin Fields is not going to be experiencing a Dan Marino type situation in that regard. So, I don't know, man. Again, you want to uh, you want to uh, question the work ethic? You want to put those allegations on that kid? Okay. But... We would appreciate it if you had the courage, if you had the spine, if you had the guts, if you had the temerity, if you had the belief to actually put your name behind that Justin Fields assessment.
And welcome back to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. All right, here we go. You know that on my podcast, I don't have too many guests, if if any. But in a situation like this, baseball right around the corner. Don't when you don't know when you're going to be listening to this, but the games are going to be starting on Thursday. So I can't think of anybody else who I would rather have. Which shows you how low my guest list is in terms of wanting to speak baseball. I've been educating this man on the sport for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my man from Phoenix, Arizona, Jeremy Freeland, De Niro, Jeromeo, Jerome. My man, my boy, what's happening, man? What's going on? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm so flattered. You, you don't have many guests, and I'm, the, I'm like the chosen people. You're the third. I I'm mean, the third. Yeah, I'm, I'm the third. third. Who, 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 who bought me? Uh, two guys I don't even know. You know who? Uh, know who? Uh, Michael. What was his first name? Carrianudo. Yeah, Carrianudo. Matt Carrianudo's a good guy. Although he's, he's from Jersey, so you know. He's a great guy. What are you talking about? Oh yeah, I Mike's a good guy. He's I, also. I, I, I've, I've done some uh, radio work with uh, Mike. Mike. Mike's uh, solid. Yeah, I know. Now, there's one thing I need for you to do, though. I need for you to go in the corner and don't say a word to me. <laughs> That's a radio guy's name. We won't. That yeah. I've worked with in the past that we won't mention. We, we are not slanderous um, okay. here on the Wonder right. Wallace show. Unless right. it's about Wendell directly. All right. I want to let you know that, you know, I will call up the producer and let you know that do not talk badly about anybody or else I'll get on my Harley. Try yeah. 400 miles down south and I deal with it. All Same right. person. Same person who shall... You know, we're, we're, we're about positivity in sports. All right, yes, true. That's true. All right, all right, man. So let me go ahead and ask you, baseball season up, know a lot about baseball, expert on baseball. All right, man, so let's go ahead and get this out of the way, the American League East. Um, go ahead, man. I know you want well, to I mean, ahead. when you look at the East, obviously, as, as much as we know Wendell doesn't like the Yankees, the Yankees are the favorites. Yeah. Uh, when you look at them, they have the best offense by far in the division. You know, they don't quit one through nine, and they have depth. Yeah. And they have the best pitcher in the division, in Garrett Cole, you know, arguably in baseball, but definitely in the division. Uh, so when you're dealing with that much firepower and you have the ace at the top, uh, and then, then after that, they do have some question marks, but the offense will carry them to the division. Uh, when you look at the rest of the division, the Rays, great story last year, still going to be a tough team, uh, but losing Blake Snell is going to hurt a lot. Uh, and they don't have the length in their rotation to be as effective over 162 as 160. I think the Blue Jays can be very exciting. They're going to score a lot of runs. They just don't have any pitching at all. Uh, you could look, you know, what, what you got to like about the Blue Jays is that's like the next generation of kids, Wallace. Uh, you got Bo Bichette, who was the son of Dante Bichette, and Bo Bichette's the shortstop. He's going to be tremendous. Yeah, you have yeah. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who clearly is Vladimir Guerrero Sr.'s son. And you also have Kevin Biggio on the Blue Jays, who they expect big things out of. And he, he's Craig Biggio's son. So you have three Hall of Fame guys well, two Hall of Fame guys, and Dante Pichette was a multiple-time All-Star. You have all their kids on Toronto, and they're all good. So that's just fun in its own right, Wendell. Wasn't uh, Boston supposed to be better, but they got injuries this, this uh, spring training? Boston's going to have a tough time. Uh, you know, when, when you trade Mookie Betts, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow, especially when you're tied to contracts like Chris Sale. He's going to be out till at least August, yeah, and then who knows what they'll get for him. You know, they re-signed J.D. Martinez, which made sense. I mean, he's a big bat, but he's had some injuries with the back. He's a little older. They couldn't afford to bring Mookie in, which, you know, he's arguably the best player in baseball. You can make a case for him. Uh, They do have some young guys and Raphael Devers, Xander Bogarts. I love them both on the left side of the infield. 
Uh, but again, it's about starting pitching. Without Chris Sale, they don't even have a legitimate number two. Nathan Eovaldi is their opening day starter, and I don't even know that he's worthy of a starting spot in a world championships rotation, nonetheless, at the top of the rotation. What are you guys going to do about your first baseman? Voight, he's going to be out for a while. The Yankees will be out uh, with, with the meniscus for probably six, eight weeks. You could play matchups in the meantime, play saber metrics, righty, lefty, lefty, righty. They brought in Jay Bruce. They have Mike Tauschman. They can play Miguel Andujar there. They can play DJ LeMahieu there. Uh, maybe even work Gary Sanchez there. Who knows? Uh, but Voight will be back. Uh, and in the meantime, they're just, you know, they'll have less of the lineup to fill in. Uh, American League Central, let's go ahead here. I know that uh, Chicago White Sox, devastating injury, right? right? Talk about it and talk about my man, Tim Anderson. Uh, Eloy Jimenez, uh, young star on the White Sox. They expect big things. He had a great spring. Made a defensive play in spring training and tore his packs out five to six months. That's unfortunate, especially when you see a defender get hurt so bad on a hustle play in spring training. Uh, I mean, it just shows he's, he's there to play. And it's unfortunate when that happens. That's a big loss for them. Uh, but I don't know that it takes them out of the division. Uh, you still have reigning MVP, Jose Abreu, on the team. As you said, shortstop Tim Anderson, he's another one. Good in the field, good with the back to run the bases. They have Luis Robert, uh, another young Cuban player. You know, he's potential 30-30 guy. Uh, on the rotation, you have Lucas Giolito, you know, formerly of the Nationals. He's a Cy Young contender. They brought in Lance Lynn. They have Dallas Keuchel. So, you know, they, they might not dominate with the arms outside of Giolito, but the offense should be good enough, even with the loss of Eloy Jimenez. They also have a rookie I like, his second baseman, Nick Madrigal. I think he could be a player. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. I am so proud of my pupil right here, Jeremy Freitland, Jerome, Jeromeo. Uh, my knowledge By the way, let, let, let's categorize pupil. Wendell's the type of guy where a guy will make the All-Star game for the fourth time, and, and I'll get a text from Wendell and go, Hey, man, watch out for this guy. I'm like, what is this text coming three years delayed? What's going on here? How many times have I told you that? Day, he told me the Jays are winning the East. How many times and did I tell you about Mike later, Trout? Right? Mike Trout. How many times did I tell you about Mike Trout? Mike Trout. Mike Trout. <laughs> Mike Trout, the number one prospect in baseball. Hey, I got a sleeper for you. Mike Trout, you're welcome. <laughs> He's under the radar. He's under the radar. <laughs> the big trout you catch is under the radar. Right, right. All right, man, let's get back to it. AL Central talked about the Chicago White Sox, Minnesota Twins. Why even talk about them, man, when all they're going to do is make the playoffs and lose to your squad? But uh, yeah, Well, the Twins are a good team. I, I like uh, the guy at the top, Jose Berrios. Uh, you know, he, he's always flirted with being a Cy Young contender. He just hasn't been good enough yet but because he hasn't put it together yet. This could be the year he does it. Uh, he has nasty stuff. You, you know, you just got to get that command. Uh, I believe he's 26, so it could be it. Uh, and offensively, you know, they're going to mash the ball. Nelson Cruz never gets old. Uh, when you know, look at the Twins, they're returning pretty much key core guys. They did bring in Alex Colome over from the White Sox. So that could help a little transition between the, the shift in the division. And their bullpen is strong at the back that with Colome and Taylor Rogers. Uh, so the Twins will be tough. The White Sox will be tough. I think the Indians will still be tough. They, they are also arguably have the best. Lindor. Definitely in baseball, Shane Bieber. He's lights out. Uh, they did lose Lindor, which is going to hurt. But they also brought in Eddie Rosario over from the Twins to give Jose Ramirez some protection. So don't count out Cleveland. I think the Royals will score some runs. I don't like their pitching. And uh, that, that's about it for the division. Forget the Tigers. They're going to be horrible. Yes, they are. NL West, finally, after years and years of predicting – 
that the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim are going to do some things. I'm predicting that the Los Angeles Angels are going to do some things. And my man Shohei Otani, I'm telling you, MVP right now. Why? Because they're going to have him pitch and they're going to have him hit. All right, go All right, ahead. So go ahead and rip me. Go ahead and rip me. We're with the Angels. Here, here's the thing I see with that. For the Angels, in my opinion, to get past the Astros or the A's, we'll need Shohei Yatani to do what you're saying. I mean, he's going to have to win 18 games, and he's going to have to hit like an all-star. If he does that, hey, I would love to see it. I would love to see you be right on this one because that would be incredible to watch. I just don't know that it's possible. And if he doesn't go to that extreme, I don't know that I could see the Angels winning. I mean, I love Rent Trout. I love Rendon. They just don't have the picture. If Otani is the ace you think he could be, and he could hit at the top of the lineup like they say he can, well, that could change things. Uh, but I still you know, they still, they still, you know that, right? They still have Bregman. They still have Michael Brantley. They still have Michael uh, Carlos Correa. They got Zach Greinke at the top. They have Lance McCullers. To me, they're still the better team. And they have, well, wait a minute, you're talking about hitting. They have the best player in baseball, and they have Rendon. Yeah, but they get four or five at-bats a game. And they don't get people out by pitching. I mean, I love Rendon and Trout, especially Trout. But obviously, as great as he's been, it's not been enough. We're not even close to enough. Do you really think Otani can bridge the gap between what it's been not enough to winning the division? Winning the division when you have the Houston Astros, even though Dusty Baker, sorry, awesome coach, Oakland A's, it is a pretty tough division. It's, it's going to be hard for them. And I think the Mariners might be better than you think. Don't be surprised if the Angels finish in last place. You've been saying that for years after years after years. But then How many they, times has it been wrong? I mean, <laughs> not a good team. Well, it's not a knock on Mike Trout. <laughs> well, Except that the Angels are a bad team. Incomplete. Well, you, you know, you yeah. pool holes, Hamilton, you know, they missed on some. some yeah, bad they made bad decisions. By the way, what is going on switching now to the NL? What, what's going on with the Mets and, and Lindor? Why they can't get anything together as far as the contract is concerned? He's going to turn down twelve years. What he wanted twelve years, three hundred eighty-five mil, right? Yeah, and they offered him three hundred twenty-five mil. So they're sixty million apart. I, I can't. I, I I think he's. I mean, I'm not going to tell him what to do with his money. I mean, he's going to bet on himself. But you know, you're going to reject a twelve-year deal for two hundred and. How much was it? $225 million? $325 million. Or excuse me, you're right. $325 million. Excuse me. $320. Take the money. What happens if you get hurt? I mean, that you're going to reject that. I, I think that's a, uh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't see how he turns that down. And if I'm the Mets, I'm like, come on. Like, really? You're rejecting this? You want $60 million more? Do you want to compete? Do you want us to have anything left? And not only that, I mean, even guaranteed. Well, not only is it guaranteed, but if he goes out and has a great season, that's not any guarantee that that three eighty five is going to be their next season. Now, what happens if he comes out of the gate slow, and then the New York media and fans get on him like we know they can? Then he falls into some funk and and it doesn't go well. He might not get that contract. I, I think it's a mistake. But again, I'm not going to tell him what to do with his money. I'm not going to tell him to do with what his career is. But from the outside looking in, you just walked away from a guaranteed $325 million. You're not the best player in baseball. I think Lindor is one of the best players in baseball. I don't disagree with that. He's not the best player in baseball. That's best player in baseball money. Is he closer to 325 or 385 as far as being the best? 
as far as being um I think three twenty five is more than fair. That's more than fair. Twelve year guaranteed contract for three hundred twenty five million? That's more than fair. He says how is that unfair? Because I'd love says, to hear an argument from somebody tell me why it's unfair. Because he says Trout is making a boatload of money, Bryce Harper is making a boatload of money, and it's for twelve years. So I don't know what the average salary is for each one of those years, but in five or six or seven years, especially when we start recouping all this money that we lost from the uh, pandemic, that contract might not uh, be uh, suitable for the performance I put on the field. I don't know. I'm just saying. I, that's well, five years from now, it's half a decade. Five years from now is half a decade. And then five years from now, he won't get that contract. He's not 22 years old. Uh, so he, he won't get This would be the final contract of his career. All right. All right. Like I said, I don't understand it either, but. I'm thinking of why he would turn it down. I'm trying to do agent talk here. So, all right, NL Central. Oh, sorry, NL East. I told you about my Phillies. The Nationals pitching, but no hitting. Braves, good. Mets, talk to me. Well, I, I think uh, your Nationals will will compete. Uh, they have pitching, as you said, assuming they can stay healthy. Uh, but no, that's for all teams. Do they have a um, do they have a they have a two little uh, closer, right? Well, I like the the addition of Brad Hand. Uh, he's a lights-out closer. If he's healthy, too, which all signs say he is, uh, they have a real closer. Uh, you know, they haven't really had one since Pavel Um So that's a big plus for them. And I like the addition of Josh Bell. Uh, they brought him in to play first base. Uh, it's a little protection. I think Juan Soto could be an MVP. I think he's a triple crown threat, to be honest. Uh, I like Trey Turner at the top. Uh, but, again, it's a tough division. You know, the last-place team projections – are all pointing to the Marlins. They made the playoffs last year. So that shows you how tough that division can be. Uh, with the Mets, you know, uh, you, again, you're probably talking the best pitcher in baseball and Jacob deGrom. Uh, they brought in Carlos Carrasco. He's going to be out for about six weeks. And then Noel Syndergaard will be out for about two months. They brought in Marcus Stroman to, to eat up some innings. Offensively, the Mets are going to score. They also brought in Lindor. I like Michael Conforto, uh, Dominic Smith. I think they could hit top to bottom. Jeff McNeil gets on base. Brandon Nimmo gets on base. Mets are good. Uh, and then the Braves, obviously, I mean, you could argue they have the top one through four hitters in the game. When you come out the gate in the first inning with Acuna leadoff, Ozzie Adams hitting second, Freddie Freeman hitting third, MVP, and Marcelo Zuna hitting cleanup, you could be behind, you, you could be out, you could be behind in the scoreboard three nothing right away with ease. Uh, and that's going to happen a lot. That Braves offense is lethal. And it goes down lower than that. Darby Swanson, Travis Darnot, that's how good it is. And then pitching, I think Max Fried is a young stud. I like him at the top. They brought in Charlie Morton over from the Rays, another big loss for the Rays. So, yeah, I think the Braves are going to be tough, too. That's going to be a good division. I think the Mets are going to be the best team in New York City. No, they won't. <laughs> but, they like couldn't both make the playoffs. I, lo- I, love the, I love that cringe on your face. When it's well, it's the, it's the division. The Yankees are going to really have a strong record against the East where the Mets are going to have harder games. That's true. NL Central, let me see. Um, St. Louis, yes. Hey, you know what? If Chicago stinks and Chris Bryant and the rest of those guys are on the trade block, please don't tell me the evil empire would swoop in and, and take one of those guys, would they? Uh, it, it's possible, but the, the Yankees aren't big on just going and spending reckless, recklessly anymore. Uh, oh, that's right. The father did that. The sons are a little bit more. Uh, yeah, yeah, they don't like the luxury tax. They don't want to be over it. And honestly, in the new bo- the new baseball model, you know, you get a player at their best 
until what, 28, 29. I mean, when you're in your prime years, so if you're getting called up now, 23, 24, you know, you're under team control till you're 29 or 30 and you can keep those contracts at bay. So the days of going out and just spending, spending big isn't what it used to be. Uh, pitchers, pitchers will get the arms. I mean, pitchers will get the money because it's so hard to find an ace. When, when you think of your nationals, you know, they had Strasburg and it just wasn't enough. So what they do? They went out and got Max Scherzer. They went out and got Patrick Corbin. Yeah. They won the World Series. When I think of the Astros, you know, they developed George Springer, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa. They all drafted these guys. It's really hard to develop aces. So what did they do? They went out, they got Justin Verlander. They went out and got Garrett Cole. They went out and got Zach Greinke. So I think if the Yankees are going to spend, it's going to be on a guy like Garrett Cole. Uh, and I, I think if they make a move, it'll be for an arm. I don't think it would be for a bat. Starting, you starting pitchers and aces get the years. I mean, get the money. The everyday players get the years. You're not going to see a, a, a yeah. get 12 years. You're not no, going to because there's just too much wear and tear, especially right. these days, because these right. pitchers throw so hard. No, it's also because they don't go nine innings. They don't go eight innings. A, a quality well, it's because, six innings. It's because of the focus on the strikeout. You know, a long time ago, and he had exceptions, just like in everything. You have outliers like, you know, Nolan Ryan, Roger Clemens. But a lot, you know, guys like Tommy Glavin, Jimmy Key, uh, you know, Mike Flanagan from your neck of the woods in Baltimore. You know, you pitch contact, but you pitch the location. So you could, as long as if the bat hits the ball and it's not hitting the sweet spot and, you know, you don't make good contact, you're going to get an out. You have had dozens of Hall of Famers who pitch like that. You don't see that anymore. Everything now is about the strikeout. So all these pictures, if you throw 92 these days, you don't even throw hard. 92, you, every, you see all mile 97, 98, 99, sometimes triple digits, and your arm just can't withstand that anymore. So, you know, there's so much pressure on today's arms that they, they can't throw the pitches like that anymore. That's because pitchers don't learn how to pitch because it's like, all right, starting pitching, you go out for six innings, throw as hard as you can, wear out your arm, then we'll bring in four other guys who are the same damn thing, whether they're left-handed or right-handed, throw as hard as you can, and that's it. The Tommy Glavins of the world, the great Maddoxes of the world, who knew how to, I don't know, pitch, and who could pitch into their 40s because they knew how to pitch, change speeds, angles, playing the uh, playing the, um, uh, uh, the angles and such. Those things are gone. Those days are gone. And the minor and you know, uh, such, all they're doing is just throw it as hard as you can. Yeah, it's a good example of that. And I think it's made him a lesser pitcher, and now his career's on the down. You remember James Paxton? I was pretty happy when the Yankees I got him. He's with the, uh, the Padres, right? From the Mariners. Mariners, okay, yeah, yeah. And then he went to the Yankees, and, you know, when you watch him pitch, he's got great stuff. His K per nine is through the roof. And then when you watch him pitch, do you know how many times he's taken himself out of games? Because it's very frustrating when I would watch a guy like him, just in this example, pitch. He'd get ahead of a count, uh, hitter 0-2 right away because he's got nice stuff. And then instead of just trying to get him out, he would throw a waste pitch looking for a strikeout. Uh, then he'd throw another waste pitch trying to get a strikeout. Yeah. Uh, next thing you know, they're fighting off pitches. The next thing you know, it's a full count. Nine pitches later, you get him to strike out. So, yeah, you got the out, but it took you 10 pitches to do it. Your innings are going to be lower. And he'd go four and two-thirds or five innings. And that drives me crazy. If you get ahead of a hitter 0-2, you don't need to waste six pitches trying to strike him out every time. Yeah, that's true. Now, there are circumstances. For example, if you have a runner on third with one out, you know, I'm going to want to strike this guy out. If I walk him, I'm okay with that because it still sets up a double play. I can get out of the inning. 
But if you have nobody on and there's no out, I don't need you to lead off to strike out the leadoff hitter. Just get him out. Also, I'd rather game, you save the pitches. Also, game situations, I'll allow a run in the first, second, or third. But if it's the fifth, sixth, or seventh, then yeah, I'm going to uh, go for broke and strike this guy out. Yeah, so you're- yeah, of course. And that's what bullpen guys are for. And that's why they're used to going one inning. You know, a lot of bullpen guys come in, they let it all out. 97, 98, 99, they can't go longer. But that's what they're kind of turning starting pitchers into. You go four innings, they're happy. They go, hey, we're scoreless through four. Now I just got to ride the bullpen four innings and I can win. That's the philosophy. That's your sport. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, the podcast. I'm talking with my man, Jeremy Jerome Friedland, about Major League Baseball starting up tomorrow. All right, man, I know you got to go, so we'll get you out of here with this. The NL West, Dodgers, Padres, two best teams in the league. You said it before. Padres, Dodgers, Yankees are the three best teams in the league. Is there any way, any chance that the Padres can overtake the Dodgers during the regular season to win the uh, NL West? Well, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a chance. I mean, I don't think the Dodgers are going to win the division by 10 games. I think the Padres are the second-best team in baseball. Uh, Kershaw gets hurt. Mookie Betts get hurt. Injuries are always uh, the wild card, especially when you're talking two teams really close. I just think the Dodgers starting pitching is a little bit better. And I think the Dodgers offense is just a little bit better. Um, and the Dodgers have won, you know, they're world champs uh, even before last year, you know, they're an experienced bunch. They've won a lot of ball games. Padres are inexperienced. They haven't been there yet. So that's another example, or excuse me, uh, another reason why I would favor the Dodgers but that could definitely change. I mean, Tatis could come out and win triple crown. Blake Snell could come out and win Cy Young. You uh, Darvish. I mean, the, the, you know, the Padres are a good team. Uh, the rest of the division is not even worth talking about. Why are you not slobbering over uh, Fernando Tatis? Why do I think he's great? No, why are you not slobbering over him? I think he's a great player. There's nothing not to like. You haven't mentioned him as the MVP. He could. I just said he could be an MVP. You just said he could be. I mean, Dark Horse. I'm not going to say he will be. I said he could be. Better than Cody Bellinger. Juan Soto is going to be MVP. Why are you not loving him? He's a Nationals fan. I think Juan Soto is a little ahead of Tatis right now, and that doesn't mean I don't like Tatis. There's another guy in the National League I absolutely love is Ronald Acuna Jr. This guy's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, he's unbelievable. Those are probably my three favorite young players in baseball. Cody Bellinger. I like him. I don't like him as much as the other three, but he can come and win MVP. I mean, you know, that, that's a great thing. There's so much young talent in baseball. It could be somebody we're not even talking about. I didn't even recognize. You know who I forgot was on the Dodgers? David Price. Yeah, they moved him to the bullpen. That's how good they are. When You you know, it, it's funny when the rich get richer. Who's the picture? Julio Arreras? What's his last name? Urias. Urias. So what you saw in the postseason, in the, in the offseason was, you know, the Padres made the playoffs last year, and then they, they got shown by the Dodgers in the playoffs. You're not ready, and you don't have the pitching. We're going to mash them. You know, Chris Paddock is a nice arm. He's not going to be the ace when you're looking at the Dodgers. So they went out, they got you Darvish, and they went out and got Blake Snell. They got a f- former Cy Young winner of their own. And now you're looking at that staff and you're like, wow, they could compete. So the Dodgers said, okay, hold my beer. Hold my $12 <laughs> L.A. Dodger beer. Yeah, We got and got Trevor Bauer. There's no doubt in my mind the Dodgers made that sign because they didn't need it. They made that sign because they saw what the Padres were doing. So they said, all right, we're going to up you, and now we have Trevor Bauer. When you look at that rotation with Kershaw, Bueller, and Bauer, and then uh, at the four, you, you, you have Julio Arias. It's, it's unbelievable. It's unbe- and they have depth, Dustin May, Tony Gosselin. They have seven, eight legit guys who they could throw out as a starter. I mean, that's just unfair. 
get through all this, you're saying that the Yankees are going to win the World Series. I would be surprised, but I wouldn't be surprised if they make it. I'd be surprised if they win it. But that I'll root. That was so insincere. I, you know, I. Hey, so listen, when you look at the Dodgers and you look at the Padres, I mean, they, they match up better than anybody in baseball. Doesn't mean one or two of them are going to win it, but they're definitely the favorites. I've known this guy over 20 years, right? Yep. 20 years. Every single, every single offseason, the Yankees get somebody, and I have to be inundated with texts talking about how the Yankees are going to go 162-0. Oh, that's <laughs> what you text me. From Jarrett Weaver, Mark oh. Sierra, A-Rod, Ray uh, Who? Who else? Tex, and a, Tex was a great sign. They won the World and, Series. I remember the 150 home run text you gave me when they got Stanton. 150. <laughs> yeah. 150 homers. 150 Actually, that's not true. I only said 136. 130, exactly. 136. Didn't you tell me also that Stanton was going to win the MVP? I think he's a dark horse to win the MVP. Dark horse to win. He's won an MVP before. If he stays healthy, he can be an MVP candidate. His numbers, if he can stay healthy for a normal season, not 162, but for a normal 580, 600 at bat season, his numbers will be astronomical. You see, you, you can say this with ease because of how bad the division is, but Judge, injury history, Stanton, injury history, Voight is out. Oh, he's hurt. Uh, uh, um, oh, your shortstop, doggone it. Um, Glaber Torres. Glaber Torres came in, came in last season out of shape. This guy who you thought was going to be the next great one, is he going to be out of shape? Yeah, last season was a bit off. Well, I know that, but is he going to, I mean, he's a young cat, so are we talking about this being a pattern or what? So what do you, as a baseball fan who watches the game and watches him play, by the way, he had a tremendous postseason. Um, Now, would you look at a guy like Labor Torres, 24 years old, he's excelled in every season at every level up until last year's COVID season, would you put more stock into that season or everything done before that? Depends on how bad, he, how bad he's going to do. <laughs> was, so basically you're saying I'll let you know when the year's done. Yeah, I'll let you know when the year's done because you said the okay. same thing about Robbie Cano. And that's <laughs> why, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Wendell Wallace show. <laughs> I tell you what, man. Robinson Cano, I mean, how much did you slurp this guy until he – He's a great hitter. He's a great hitter. I mean, obviously we know what happened. He took steroids, but he, I, he was playing 160 games a year. 300 average, 40 doubles, 20 homers, 100 ribbies, gold gloves, second baseman. There was nothing not to love. Yeah. All right, man. All right. That's that's good enough. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Good stuff. When the Yankees are on a slump, I'll get a text from you asking me to uh, to do the show. But when they're hot, you're going to go, oh, no, I'm busy. No, I'm going to wait till uh, the Yankees, you know, go 0-2. And then you know, I want to uh, hear the text. I want you to be back on the show how you want Aaron Boone fired. You want, uh, you know, uh, Stanton uh, traded, Judge is not earning his stripes, and um, Stein, Stein, uh, Steinbrenner needs to sell the team. So all of those things I can't wait. But you being a true New Yorker and a true Yankee fan, when they jump out, who did they play on, on uh, Thursday, by the way? Toronto. Toronto. Well, that's the other thing I'm going to get. Nice schedule. Can, can the league set you up, set you guys up even more? Yes, who do you want yeah. to play week one? ESPN guys, I want you want them to play the first week. The Dodgers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then the second week? The Padres. The Padres. <laughs> and then and then after that, I want you to have a double. Go half. back to the Dodgers, home Go and home. And it'll let it be a 162 road trip. Meanwhile, the Dodgers are like, I don't want that deal. <laughs> I want to play the Diamondbacks, Giants, and Rockies myself. 
Oh, sorry, I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. All right, man. I'll get you out of here. Thanks for being on the program. Talk to you later. See ya. All right, man. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Oh, the greatest, the legend, soulful, historic Otis Redding. Thank you very much. Um, I want to thank also thank my main man, Jerome Mio, Jerome, Jeremy Friedland, or should I say Jeremy Friedland, a.k.a. Jerome Mio, a.k.a. Jerome, a.k.a. De Niro, a.k.a. Whatever, but uh, that's my boy, love him much, and uh, good stuff, man, good stuff, glad that he could uh, join me to talk about what was happening in Major League Baseball, as I mentioned before, was, um, I guess, down there in Phoenix, where he still does some uh, podcasting, broadcasting, excuse me, still lends his knowledge, still lends his expertise to those down in the uh, broadcasting business concerning baseball, so I was most grateful that... uh, he was able to give me the time to go ahead and uh, talk about what was happening as opening day is coming up upon us on um, tomorrow. So as of this recording, doing it on a Wednesday, now moving into evening. Can't wait uh, for AEW, see what my man Kenny Omega is going to do, see what the pinnacle is going to do. It looks like uh, uh, Sasha Khan, who owns the uh, who owns AEW, is, is, is building these fractions. So Khan is also the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So he's trying to, I guess, make the wrestling product for AEW similar to, you know, the NFL, where you have teams playing for the Super Bowl and all those type of things. He's starting to get these guys in the fractions. So I guess these guys are going to start feuding with, with each other. Whenever the inner circle comes back, they're going to be feuding with Pinnacle, and you got Matt Hardy's group, and I don't know what Moxley and those guys are going to do, but you got Omega's group, and you've got all these different groups, and you've got all these different fractions feuding against each other. So you got all these teams, and you're going to have all of these individual uh, programs that they can run. So like it. Really like what I'm seeing from AEW. It's become now my go-to as far as wrestling is concerned. I've completely fallen off the map with um, completely fallen off the map with Raw. Glad that Bobby Lashley won the. Uh, won the heavyweight championship. I don't know how long he's going to keep it. I don't even know who's going to be the face or who's going to be the heel in this scenario. I just, man, it would just suck if uh, Drew McIntyre, who I think does an awesome job. I think he, I think he's a great champion. I think he does well for the, um, for the promotion. He does well for Vince. And I think he can, you know, get a lot of money. The only problem is, is that, you know, I think Lashley is red hot. You just put the strap on him. And now what, three weeks later, at WrestleMania, he's going to lose it to uh, McIntyre. I mean, where do you go with that if, if you're Bobby Lashley? 
Where do you go with the Hurt Business? Where do you go with MVP? Where do you go with Shelton and Cedric? Where do you go with these guys? So I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Vince is a lot more adapted doing this than I am. But, uh, I mean, Raw has been absolute putrid garbage for a little bit now. And you got McIntyre. You got the Hurt Business. You've got Sheamus. Other than that, you've got AJ's been all right. But other than that, you've, you've got garbage. The women's division is garbage. Um, I don't know exactly what happened with uh, Charlotte Flair. Maybe Andrade can uh, fill us in on that. Her fiance, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Charlotte has been in and out. They're making Oscar look foolish. This Ruby Riot, whatever. I mean, you know, can we? I mean, they're not doing anything with Dana and uh, Mandy Rose. And Lana is just a complete and utter waste of time. Nia Jack has absolutely zero mic skills, and the only one worse on the mic than Nia Jack is Shayna Baszler. They have those two together, and they seem to be directionless. They're wasting Naomi's talent. It's just, you know, the, the, this nonsense between The Fiend and Randy Orton is so fucking dumb. It's so fucking stupid. It's so fucking ridiculous. It's just, come on, man. I mean, can we finally end this bullshit? And the thing was, Bray Wyatt is a pretty good worker. But after just wasting his talent for years, I guess they acquiesced and, you know, got into his ideas about what he thinks would be a great character. I've never liked The Fiend. I know The Fiend, when he first came out, was great and awesome and everything. I've never liked that bullshit. It's too 80, it's too gimmicky, it's too 1980-ish type of wrestling for me. It's just nonsense, it's bullshit, and now this nonsense with Randy Orton that they're feuding again when their first feud was mediocre at best. And now they're doing this bullshit where he's putting the guy, he lit the guy on fire, and he's like, yeah, there you go. Glad I did it. Felt great. Felt wonderful. I mean, what what's going on here? The fiend is not human. The fiend is not this. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? And then you got Alexa Bliss, who is absolutely gorgeous beyond belief, but her acting skills are, well, questionable. And her, I mean, they, they got her looking like uh, Harley Quinn. It's like, no. Bring me back to the sexy, gorgeous Alexa Bliss, who can wrestle, who's the sweetheart. You ever see her and Nia Jax on Instagram, but uh, on YouTube? Those two used to be the best of friends. I don't know what happened to them now, but they would put, you know, YouTube clips together. I mean, Alexa Bliss is an absolute sweetheart. Alexa Bliss is the type of female where it's kind of like you want to, you want to introduce her to the greatest human being of the world in her age group. And have those two get married and have 15 kids and just have a wonderful life together. I mean, that's the type of, she's the type of gal where, if, you know, someone's giving her a little bit of static. You just want to protect her. You want to say, hey, man, back off. Even though she could do, be doing a better job of protecting herself than I could or anybody else. But that's, that's the feeling I get with Alexa Bliss, this absolute sweetheart of, of a human being who is just like, you know, you just want to make sure that she's just, you know, had the best of everything. That being said, this. Stuff with her and Harley Quinn, ugh. Ugh, this stuff with her and The Fiend, ugh. Can we just get the bullshit over with, move on, and get back to uh, Alexa Bliss wrestling? Please? So, how did I get into wrestling? I don't know. Oh, that's right, yeah, um, AEW is coming up in about 15 minutes. So let me hurry up and talk about um, the NBA buyout. I'm going to end the podcast with the NBA buyout players of importance changing teams. Marcus Aldridge signed with the Brooklyn Nets. He hadn't played since March 1st. 
He's going to have some time to get acclimated with the new team, with his new teammates and everything that they do before actually playing a game. When is he going to play? I don't know. As of this recording, I don't know. Steve Nash is talking about Aldridge had the chance to start, but in all probability, he's going to probably play somewhere around 15 to 20 minutes, 20 minutes at the most. I, I don't know how LaMarcus Aldridge going to the Nets and playing 15 to 20 minutes a game all of a sudden makes Brooklyn unbeatable, but all right. Especially when at 35 years of age, he's averaging somewhere around 13 points, four rebounds and two assists in 25 minutes with San Antonio this season. I, I didn't know that type of production in those limited minutes and the fact that the Spurs were so much better with Aldridge off the court than they were with him on the court. I didn't know that a player who could be bought out because no one else wanted to trade for him could go to a team and automatically that would make them, that would elevate them to a super team. Don't, don't know how that works, but uh, that's been some of the narrative about, you know, Marcus Aldridge going to the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Andre Drummond signed with the Lakers. He's going to start against Milwaukee on Wednesday. They're not going to be without Anthony Davis. They're not going to be without LeBron James. So, all right. I mean, again, I can't believe the fucking uh, former All-Star, Andre Drummond, you know, went to the Lakers. No one wanted him. If Andre Drummond was so great, if Andre Drummond was a guy who could make up a super team, why wouldn't there be anybody else who wanted him? Well, the salary was too big. Well, of course the salary is going to be too big. If you're talking about a guy who is the third piece, who could be the third piece of a team that could be considered a super team, well, yeah, he's going to be, he's going to be expensive. Name me a player on the super team who was the third best player, who was the third wheel that came cheap. Wasn't Chris Bosh. Wasn't Kevin Love. Wasn't Ray Allen. Wasn't Carl Malone. Tell me. Tell me. There's a reason why Andre Drummond signed for the minimum with the Lakers. There's a reason why Andre Drummond was bought out of his contract. There was a reason why he has not played with Cleveland since February 12th. There's reasons why. It is not because he was sitting around waiting to join a super team. Or it's not because he was down in Florida working out so he could be the final piece of a super team. All of a sudden now, Andre Drummond is going to be the reasons why the Lakers go back to back? I'm sorry, does LeBron have anything to do with this? Does Anthony Davis have anything to do with this? Does um, uh, Alex Caruso have anything to do with this? Does KCP have anything to do with this? I, I I don't know what we're talking about here. Dennis Schroeder, does he have anything to do with this? Those guys are just what, just sit, waiting around for DeAndre, for uh, Andre Drummond to save their asses? I don't get it. So, you know, Vogel's like, he'll start. Or, you know, there's a good possibility he'll start, but he'll split minutes with Marcus Saul and Montrez Harold. If Andre Drummond is supposed to be the guy who's going to make the Lakers an unbeatable super team and be favorites in the um, to win an NBA championship, why the hell is he going to split minutes with the basketball player formerly known as Marcus Saul in an undersized center like Montrezl Harold, who last time in the playoffs we saw were getting his was getting his ass handed to him by Nikola Jokic? That's who Andre Drummond is going to be splitting minutes with. But yet Andre Drummond is the guy that's going to make the Lakers a cinch, a heavy favorite to win the NBA championship? What happens if LeBron comes back rusty? What happens if AD comes back and is not fully healthy? Does Drummond still make that team the overwhelming favorite? 
LeBron's going to have to be close to like LeBron before he got injured for the Lakers to win a championship. I don't give a damn what Andre Drummond does. He'll get you some rebounds. He'll do some things for you. But Andre Drummond is not the... It's not going to be the guy that's going to get you uh, 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 any assurance in terms of uh, winning a championship. So why are people acting like that? I, I, I scratches my head. Blake Griffin is another guy. Did anybody see Blake Griffin play in Detroit for the last couple of years? Anybody? Anybody? Did you? Did you? He joined the Brooklyn Nets, and all of a sudden, he is the uh, he's the missing piece. He's the key piece. And everybody's on the assumption that Kevin Durant is going to come back, you know, come back rip-roaring, ready to go. When is Kevin Durant going to come back? How bad is his hamstring injury? How much are, how much is this load management in truly a hamstring injury? Are we sure that Kyrie Irving is going to be on a straight and narrow? Now James Harden is starting to miss games. I know a lot of DMPs as far as uh, because of rest. But we do know James Harden's history in the playoffs, right? So I, I, I don't, but, but yet and still, Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge are the ones who are going to be able to overcome that. If Kevin Durant doesn't play or if Kevin Durant comes back and is not ready to play or Kevin Durant is not the Kevin Durant that played before he got injured with the hamstring right around Christmas time, that don't worry about it. We got Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge to pick up the slack. If James Harden goes into one of his funks, like he did in Game 7 of the uh, Western Conference Finals against Golden State, like he did Game 6 in the Western Conference Semifinals against the San Antonio Spurs, that all of a sudden, don't worry about it because we have Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge to pick up the slack. You're really, that's what you're counting on? Two guys that were bought out? Interesting, interesting. Jalen Rose, to end this, Jalen Rose made some comments on Jacoby, uh, Jalen and Jacoby, and he actually accused Griffin and Drummond of basically tanking. And then, you know, this was all part of a plan. I'm going to tank and I'm going to suck. And when I get, you know, when they tell me to go away, when my previous employers, you know, put me on paid leave, that I'm going to play so poorly that no one's going to be interested in trading for me. So they're going to have to release me. So I'm going to give up millions upon millions of dollars so I can finagle my way to uh, a big market team who has a chance to win a championship. And I'll be the missing piece. I'll be the final piece for that team to win a championship. Wow. What in the... All right. Here is the audio of uh, Jalen Rose talking about it again on Jalen and Jacoby. Let me give you the undercurrent that people got to pay attention to. That James Harden and Blake Griffin both tainted at their previous situation. It's funny when Blake Griffin goes to the Nets and he dunks his first basket. Like, a lot of people think that's funny, right? That ain't funny to Pistons fans. I know. That ain't funny to Rockets fans. And you know who else that ain't going to be funny to? The league office. When LaMarcus Aldridge is averaging 12 points with the Spurs, and then he comes out and he scores 20 points in his first game with the Nets, that's not good for the league. That is not good for the game. For players to basically tank to get what they want. But for the Nets, they're doing exactly what you would want a team to do. Get all of the equity you can and put yourself in a position to win multiple championships. All right, well, you heard it. 
Jalen is accusing Harden and Griffin of tanking at their previous situations. Evidence of that is Griffin not dunking for almost a year in Detroit, but now he's dunking in Brooklyn. Okay, okay, all right. I, I mean, did Harden tank in Houston? Yeah, but not before he gave like eight years of, you know, playing every day, playing 30-something minutes a game, no game management, being one of the top four or five players in the game, winning the MVP, taking the Rockets out of the doldrums that they were before they got them, Harden being, as I mentioned before, the MVP, being the greatest scorer, being the greatest offensive weapon, not only in his, in, uh, his generation, but one of the greatest scorers in NBA history. But you want to uh, all of a sudden there talk about James Harden is, uh, you know, a bad, uh, you know, did, did something bad because he tanked when he said, look, you know what, I'm done, I'm through, I'm finished, I'm going to get out of here. Had to make his presence felt. Had to make his intention known without question. And for Griffin, I, I, I'm sorry. I mean, Blake Griffin, wasn't he the guy where, where here, when he went into free agency, when he was with the Clippers and Doc and Steve Ballmer and all these guys, Lawrence Frank and all these guys, they took Griffin and said, we want you here. We want you the cornerstone here. We want you to be the face of the franchise. They took him to the arena and they gave this video presentation of how much they loved him and what he meant to the organization and what he's going to mean to the organization moving forward. And they signed him to a five-year, $136 million contract and not even one season later, he's being shipped off to Stan Van Gundy and the Detroit Pistons. Five years, not even one year into his five-year, $136 million contract, you send them basically to NBA purgatory, which is Detroit. Really? What is Blake Griffin? To, and by the way, Blake Griffin, when he was playing with Andre Drummond, actually got them to the playoffs. Now, they got smoked by, I believe it was Toronto, but it wasn't like the second he got to uh, Detroit, he started tanking. Sneeze. Sneeze. So, I, I, you know, evidence that Griffin had not dunked for, you know, there was a situation where he, it had been a year since Griffin dunked, and then he's dunking for Brooklyn. Okay, did you see the dunks that he, that uh, Blake was uh, doing? I mean, he wasn't jumping over seven-footers. He wasn't uh, doing any highlight reel dunks. I mean, Blake Griffin now is a completely different player. And Blake Griffin is not being asked to do the same things in Brooklyn as he is in Detroit. His responsibilities aren't as great. The amount of stress on his body and his mind are not as great because he's a complimentary player now. When he came to Detroit, he was the focal point of the turnaround. Stan Van Gundy basically got him to A, try to put people in the stands, and B, try to save his job. Or should I say A, try to save his job, and B, as a uh, as uh, the icing on that cake, is to put people in the stands. So I, I don't know I don't know exactly what Jalen is talking about, where it's a problem for the league. It's a problem for the league. It's a problem for the league. Why? Because... Two guys, three guys who are washed up as far as what they used to be. Blake Griffin's not an all-star. Blake Griffin is not that guy who was part of Lob City. Blake Griffin isn't that guy who jumped over Ikea. Jake Blake Griffin isn't that guy who was at one time a top three, top four player in this league. He's not that anymore. LaMarcus Aldridge isn't the same player that he was in Portland seven, eight, nine years ago. 
He's not even the same player he was the last uh, couple of seasons with Portland. The man is 35 years old. When he wasn't playing with the San Antonio Spurs, the Spurs were better with him on the bench than they were with him on the court. Change of philosophy, up-tempo, youth movement, all of those type of things. Whatever you want to say, LaMarcus Aldridge was not that same guy when he uh, was playing for Portland and Portland and San Antonio for the first couple of years. What, what is Jalen Rose talking about? What are these guys talking about? Andre Drummond? Andre Drummond? Andre Drummond? At, at, his, very, at his very apex of his career, he wasn't a max player. What are we talking about? So I don't know. I, I, I don't know where they get this narrative from. Interesting. You know what the main problem for the the NBA? Like the league office is looking bad on that. Well, what happened if the Utah Jazz or the Phoenix Suns beat the uh, Lakers? What happened if the 76ers or the um, Milwaukee Bucks, who, oh, by the way, made a trade for P.J. Tucker and now is in the running to get Austin Rivers, who has just the amount of chance of having a strong impact as Blake Griffin does with the Nets or the Marcus Aldridge does with Brooklyn or Andre Drummond does with the Lakers? What happens if the... Uh, what happens if the acquisition of Austin Rivers proves to be um, very monumental for the Milwaukee Bucks and they beat the uh, Brooklyn Nets, the AKA super team? What's going to be the argument there? What's going to be the situation there? So I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't follow. I really don't. The main problem with the NBA, if I were the NBA and I were the league, you know what I would look down upon? Vote management. Vote management, that would fucking piss me off if I'm out of silver in the league because tomorrow night, they're going to have the um, Brooklyn Nets playing. Oh, shit, who are they playing? I forgot who they're playing, but all of a sudden, already, Kevin Durant's not playing and James Harden is not going to be playing. So the Brooklyn Nets, the super team who for, I don't know, maybe for the last three or four months have been going with either two guys or one guy because Kevin Durant hasn't been around Kyrie Irving has missed some times, and now we're getting James Harden, who's starting to uh, miss time because of load management. Now, they might list it as a ankle or a hip or a finger or a shin. Let's put it this way, man. If it was Game 7 of the NBA playoffs, and I understand this is the dog days, and this ain't Game 7 of the NBA playoffs, different context, but if James Harden could play, guessing I'm, I'm going on the assumption, if James Harden could play tonight, he could play. Yeah, he might have a ankle that might be bothering him, yeah, his knee might be a little sore. Yeah, maybe there is a little, you know, injury that's kind of annoying or bothering him. But it's not enough for him to be missing a game. And now you've got another game that's going to be on TNT where it was supposed to be a marquee matchup where it ain't going to be. Kind of reminded me of the Utah game against Brooklyn a couple of weeks ago where not only did James Harden, not only did uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant didn't play, neither did James Harden. So what could have been an NBA preview was just basically garbage time. I wasn't going to fucking watch that. Fuck those guys. You're going to fucking waste my time with that bullshit. That's been the fucking problem of the NBA. And it's, if you want to sit there and do load management, if you really want to invest in that shit, if I'm the NBA, hey, man, I'm going to these teams and saying, you know what? Load manage these guys when they're playing Minnesota. Load manage these guys when you're at home and you're playing Orlando. Load manage those guys during that time. Don't be fucking load managing games when you're going to be uh, on ESPN 
or you're going to be on TNT, or you're going to be the Saturday or Sunday game of the week. What the fuck are you doing here, man? We're partners here. You can't be doing some shit like that. I can't tell you how many matchups that I wanted to see because that's what the NBA is based on. Ever since they had that, uh, ever since you know you had Wilt Chamberlain versus Bill Russell, Magic versus Bird. I mean, it's always been about. It hasn't been about team versus team. It's been about player versus player. Yeah, you've had Celtics Lakers rivalry and all those type of things, but mainly the NBA's popularity has been built on building the individual matchups. So if I wanted to see Joel Embiid versus Rudy Gobert, I missed that because. Uh, and B didn't play. I wanted to see Giannis versus LeBron. I missed that. Uh, this um, I'm going to be missing that tonight because LeBron isn't going to be playing. Injury, no fault of his own. But these matchups have been derailed because A, either the player has been injured or B, because it's that scheduled time for him to miss a game. That's the problem with the NBA. You can blame it on the short schedule. You can blame it on a lot of things. But again, it needs to be fixed. You can't, what happened to, to um, LeBron James can't, uh, you know, that, 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 that shit just happens. I mean, you, you can't uh, blame LeBron for that because Solomon Hill going for a loose ball fell on his ankle and got injured. I mean, you can't blame Anthony Davis for what happened with him. We don't know what's going on with Kevin Durant. But damn, we've missed the opportunity to see LeBron versus KD. We've missed the opportunity to see a full fully-fledged L.A. squad play the Brooklyn Nets. We've missed all of these type of individual and team matchups. That's the fucking problem. Not LaMarcus Aldridge going to the Brooklyn Nets. Not Andre Drummond signing with the Los Angeles Lakers. So what, you want these guys to sign with the Minnesota Timberwolves? You want these guys to sign with the Sacramento Kings? You want these guys to sign with the uh, Washington Wizards? You want these guys to sign with the Orlando Magic? Is that it? Would it have been better if LaMarcus Aldridge would have signed with the Miami Heat? I mean, what are we doing here? What are we talking about here? We're talking about guys who are way past their prime, who are just bringing name only, who are going to contribute very little for a team that's trying to win a championship. Well, all right. I, 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 don't, I don't get it, but, you know, God bless Jalen Rose. His wife is beautiful. All right, I want to thank everybody. I want to thank you very much for listening to my podcast. Subscribe, review. There's some things that I have brewing as far as what I'm trying to do with this podcast. I guess you could say with this podcast, it's like a buffet. You know when you go to a buffet, you have your Mexican food, you have your Italian food, you have your seafood, you have your desserts, you have your salads, you have everything. And you just go through, and you might not want Italian. You might, you might want uh, soul food. You might want soul foods, a salad, and some dessert. You might want a pizza from the Italian side. You might want some fried chicken, and you might want um, uh, something else. So you get to pick and choose. I have decided to have my podcast be like a buffet. So I've got some NFL talk. I've got some NFL free agency. I've got a little talk at the beginning on a myriad of things. I've got um, some Major League Baseball talk with an interview. So you might not want to listen to what I have to say about the NFL and the expansion. You might not want to listen to what I have to say about the NBA and the free agency or the uh, buyout. But you might be interested in listening to my man Jeromeo talk about Major League Baseball. You might be interested in hearing me talk about the UFC. And you might be interested in hearing me talk about Mac Jones and Justin Fields. So I'm not asking you guys to listen to every single second of my show. It's way too long for that. Not unless you're on a flight, a hike, 
waiting at an airport, flying across the country, flying overseas. You've got some time, break between uh, work. You know, you're on your, um, <clears throat> you just got the work and your first break isn't until another two hours or so. You can listen to the whole thing. I think it's great. But I give you guys the buffet of what you want to choose to listen to. So that's what I consider my podcast. So I thank you very much for listening. Great things are on the way. Be good. Be good to each other. Be good to your spouse. Be good to your children. Be good to those who might not be good to you all the time. I know it's tough. I know it's hard. Something that I'm working on. Failing but trying. Hopefully I'll get better. But uh, I wish everybody nothing but uh, love, peace, understanding, listening, unity, and togetherness. Because that's what this world needs. Music. Music.